The Lobster, which was directed by Yorgos Lanthamos. Yep. Yep. Whatever that name is. I went and saw Zootopia by myself, uh, like a weird pervert. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I just felt weird. Anyway, uh, at like a 9 at, at like a 9.30 show in one time after work. I'm not kidding. I walk in. I'm the only person there. Thank God. <laughs> then three people walked in and whatever. But it was a, a mother, a father, and a child. And they sat directly in front of me. The father in the equation here. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the father started vaping <laughs> during the movie. Like I'm, I'm not oh making the started started vaping during Zootopia. What the fuck? Welcome into Film Tank the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the Yorgos Lanthimos film, which is The Lobster, starring Colin Farrell. You ever bully or hurt anybody again? I'll come back and buttfuck your father with your mom's headless corpse on this goddamn lawn. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 67 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my two compadres. Meow. That was a beautiful meow. Is that because you'd be a cat? Meow. Bah. Black Phillip? Bah. Yeah. Meow. All right. Nick Cheney, who, who would be a cat, and uh, Tucson Egan, who would be Black Phillip the goat. Would thou like to live deliciously? Yeah. There you go. I actually think I would be a cat, too. And it's kind of a weird choice, because I don't really like cats, <laughs> but I think I would be a cat, too. If only because I decided this because my wife, Emily, wants to be a cat, and I would still want to be able to, you know. Wow. Sure. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. But I, I don't know. Like, cat or, I don't know. Maybe maybe tiger, cheetah. Cheetahs are fast. Wow. <laughs> Please go for the rest of the episode like this. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because it will will cut down the episode by like a half an hour because it's a lot less talking. For- <laughs> Holy shit! The Black, Black Phillip just came out of the little nice cat over there. Oh my wow. God. Hey so, guys, what did I miss? <laughs> on this episode, we are discussing the uh, comedy drama film The Lobster, which was directed by Yorgos Lan- Lanthamos. Yep. Yep. Whatever that name is. <laughs> if I recall correctly, this film was first shown at Con last year. I believe that's right. Either it was Yeah, I think it was. Either that or uh TIFF. Yeah. It was it was a film festival in two thousand fifteen. Yep. And it did play it at was, Sundance this year. Well, we, we didn't see it there. No. We um, almost I it was on my list of something yeah, I almost wanted to see. But but. It was one of those that I feel like only had like three showings. So. Yeah, and I 
And what's weird is that I was almost a little sad that we didn't get to see it because I figured there was no way we were going to see it in theaters around here. And yet here you are. I mean, I know it starred Colin Farrow and Witchell Weiss, but I just did not think between this premise and a Greek director clearly making a European film, so to speak. Uh, but no, it made its way. There you go. It deserves it. It, it does. It yeah. just usually that doesn't happen. <laughs> Well, uh, we are going to talk about the film The Lobster in just a little bit, but starting off, going to do another week in review. Two well, weeks in a row. Well. All right. Please, please continue. That This is going great. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the first film I want to bring up when talking about week in review is a film that myself and Nick both saw a few days ago called Money Monster. Rawr. <laughs> Good God. Which starred <laughs> George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Jack O'Connell, and Dominic West. Yep. Not a great role for Mr. West, unfortunately. No, he's Look out, Mr. West! Actually, not a great role for most people. It's yeah, this film, I was uh, going to say. Directed by Jodie Foster, who put on probably the most generic film you could possibly find here. Um, That's saying a lot. Yeah, there's really nothing new slash original about this movie at all. And... And, and it feels like it's also a decade too late. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying Wall Street is bad. Like, yeah. But... Well, it, Wall Street is bad, too, but I feel <laughs> it's like... It's bad, bad. Yeah. I feel like um, kind of having the knockoff television, um, yeah, financial advice, Mad television Money. show. Yeah. Like, is Mad Money really something that people will, like, remember anymore? I mean, I know we <laughs> do, but, like, it's not something that's really still looked at today, is it? And a lot of the uh, comedy in this film, I felt like, was very out of touch with... There's dick cream in this movie. Yeah. That, that is a plot point. Dick cream <laughs> in a I'm, Wall Street thriller. Not, not, I'm really terrified to ask... Not, not only... What? Hold on now. Not only is it a plot point... That is. Also, during the, uh, the hostage situation, the, the uh, producer who uses the dick cream is fucking a uh, another coworker yeah. uh, in a in a hallway completely unbeknownst yes. uh, that there is a terrorist <laughs> lurking in the studio but yeah. th- that that's like one of those things where it's like okay we need to make sure that we have our guy on the inside slash on the outside who can kind of help the uh, whatever how can we get him distracted let's put some dick green on him i mean that's just yeah yeah every part about this movie was extraordinarily generic not there weren't that many points that were that funny. In fact, I I feel like the ones that stick out the most to me are the most monotonous things that I just found funny in the movie. Like when uh, a policeman offers the chief a uh, bulletproof vest and he just quickly looks at him and goes, no. Yep. <laughs> Matter-of-factly. About a pussy. <laughs> Which I feel like was just kind of there as a as a line, and that's how he delivered it, and it just ended up being one of the better parts in the movie for me, which is really telling about Money Monster. It says a lot that I would rather watch a full episode of the <laughs> character's actual money show than I would uh, rewatch this movie. It seemed like they had a lot of things, like talking about how he's got balls and that kind of thing. He's got big balls. Yeah. In fact, that's a plot point, too, because that is one character's sole motivation for staying around in this hostage situation, because they keep saying, you know, you can leave now, I'll let you go as a hostage. I've got big balls. Yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. And, uh... Because if you're going to look for inspiration, you should look for it in a Jim Cramer-style show. (laughs) Uh, George Clooney, I felt like, was... Pretty standard here for usual George Clooney-esque performances in these kind of movies. 
Uh, I will say, though, that Julia Roberts was absolutely completely wasted here. Not that she's a stupendous actress or anything like that. But she's just kind of reading the lines and not given hardly anything to do other than to be, oh, haven't heard this one before, a producer who's leaving the show because she's unhappy. I mean... <sighs> Sounds pretty... Uh... Generic. Pretty standard, yeah. Yep. I also like that she's moving across the street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I don't know why, but there's something about like that that they would specify that apparently the her next job offer was like across the street. Like, I don't know, that's just not really how jobs usually work. I mean when Even you're if- in a uh a tight knit competitive field where I, I mean I get that it's a downtown city. It's, yeah. just, it's just so funny, like, you know, she's like, yeah. yeah, I'll be moving across the street. I'm like, okay. I guess. Across I, the street. It is uh, everything down to the to the guy being upset and bringing in a bomb for him to put on. And uh, I will say uh, the one part of this film that I feel like was somewhat original, even though like the premise of this part wasn't original, uh, was the girlfriend who came in and talked to him over the phone while she was on the television so they could see each other. And she just pretty much laid him the fuck out. And it actually was pretty wonderful because... I was kind of surprised how degrading it got fast, where someone who uh, is holding a bomb and a gun uh, is being told by his girlfriend, who's supposed to be trying to calm him down. That Why he's she little... was allowed to talk for two minutes, I have <laughs> no idea. Because <laughs> they're all standing right there, and she's I... standing in the middle of a police trailer. <laughs> yeah, but she calls him a, yeah. she calls him a bitch like 16 times, and I, I don't know, it was kind of yeah, it was refreshing. A, it was. It was, a, <laughs> it was a shot in the arm that the movie needed. but uh, There weren't many shots in the arm. The guy who plays <laughs> the, the hostage person, like Taker or whatever, uh, Jack O'Connell. That yeah, he's not that great at He anything. reminded me, and this is not saying much, but he reminded me of like a poor man's uh, John Gallagher Jr. Like, like I feel like he could have played it. And not that he would have really brought anything to it, but there was something about the way Jack O'Connell played this character that was like just not not good. It hasn't really worked out for Jack O'Connell so far. Who, who is he? I don't know. Well, he was he was part of that film that a lot of people in Hollywood tried to get the hype up for a couple of years ago called Unbroken that Angelina Jolie directed. Oh. And then people saw it and they... Figured out that it was not good at all. It was written by the Coens. Yeah, and that was the. I mean, before anything came out or anyone saw it, really, that was the early season Oscar favorite for best picture, and that and people saw. It. <laughs> but that's the thing. He's that guy. Yeah, he, okay. He's the guy who was the star of that movie. So, I did. wow, that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it hasn't really worked out for him. He wasn't good here, and mostly nobody was. So. I uh, wouldn't recommend Money Monster, and that's okay because most people didn't see it anyways. The other film I wanted to mention really quickly was a film that myself and Nick already talked about on the Sundance recap episode because we saw it again, the first, ep- or first episode, the first movie from Sundance that I have seen for a second time, and I believe it's the first one you've seen again, That right? we were able to see at Sundance. Yes. Because I've seen, and as we, like, we're going to talk about one, but also I've seen a couple movies that were at Sundance. Well, I'm going to talk about movies that we saw. That we, we watched yeah. for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was Whit Stillman's Love and Friendship, which actually, and we were both a little surprised by this, I think, uh, we both pretty much thought was the exact same as we remembered it from at the film festival, which doesn't say anything bad about Love and Friendship or Whit Stillman, because we both quite enjoyed this the first time we saw it, and we quite enjoyed it again. Yeah. And, and we've already talked about it at length, so I guess there's not much more to say on it other than two things. One... 
it is pretty wide release now, and not that it's going to be there for uh, any length of time, but I feel like this actually would be quite a good date movie um, for, for guys if they wanted to bring their girlfriend who may be into like literature in some way. Mm. I'm just saying it might yeah. be a good idea. And it's just a, a quite funny movie, but it's not a film that is hurting for quick jump laughs or anything like that. Like yeah. it's a, a quite a well-written comedy story that doesn't go overboard on the comedy, but also tells a, a pretty good love slash hateful bitch story. <laughs> it really does time. trust the audience to a pay attention and B to not just pay attention on a plot level, because as much as it's a simple plot, it's, it can be hard if you're not like really giving it your all to like, remember who's who and who has a stake in what motivation yeah. and whatnot. But also when it comes to comedy, like there are certain lines that are just broadly funny in a good way. Like mm-hmm. you, you can tell, but that's funny. But then there are other lines where you'll laugh about two seconds later. Cause you'll realize that they were being sarcastic, but they, they weren't able to inflect it as so because they're in whatever company they're in front of. And it just becomes more and more funny once you can really dig through who means what they say and who doesn't. The other positive about this scene at the second time, even though I thought the exact same about it was that I had a better grasp of the characters because you are pretty much introduced to the, 12 to 15 characters in this film right away when the movie starts off. So it's, it's kind of hard to catch up the first time through. Yeah. But uh, the other thing really quickly I wanted to mention on it was, I was a little surprised was that this film was rated PG for the, uh, the content that it was in and not that there's swearing or anything like that, but I was a little surprised just because there's this sort of um, kind of affair, jealousy kind of undertone for this film that I'm just kind of surprised was given a PG rating, but I'm because I'm you think afraid. it should be less. Well, no, because I, I, I assume this was a PG 13 film when oh. we saw, after we saw it at Sundance. Okay. When you first said that to me, I thought you were surprised that it was rated PG and not even just G because, oh. because there's no swearing or anything. Yeah. No, but yeah, no, I think PG is about right. Okay. It's, it's something that children should be cautioned against because they're not going to enjoy it. But mm-hmm. in reality, like, if anything, making it PG thirteen might attract the wrong people because they might think it's some kind of sultry movie. Or yeah, something. I suppose. I but you know, it is what it is. Love and Friendship is a good film, and it's uh, at a lot of theaters now. So if you have a chance to go see it, I would I would highly suggest it. Moving on to Nick, who, in addition to seeing the two movies I just talked about, I'm assuming saw other things. I did. I saw <laughs> five movies at the theater hey, this weekend. Holy fucking shit! That, not just this weekend. I between Saturday to Tuesday, I saw five movies at the theater. All of them were rewatches except for two. Anyway, uh, I just want to talk about one or two things. The first one being I saw Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. How was it? Uh, it was fantastic. <gasps> it is probably the hardest I've laughed at a movie, at a mainstream comedy uh in years, uh, no, just in the theater or in general? in the theater. Yeah, okay. sorry, but like, a, yeah, no, a new release in the theater. It's probably the hardest I've laughed at a uh, a mainstream comedy in years. Uh, it is, I think, hysterical. Uh, it's of course it's made by the Lonely Island, which comprises of Andy Samberg, the main star, who plays Connor for real, a kind of grown adult baby version of Justin Bieber, even though he's already approaching <laughs> that territory himself, uh, and. 
written and directed by Akiva Schaefer and Jorma Tacone, the other two members of the comedy troupe, The Lonely Island, who, if you don't know, became famous because they were the ones who created the SNL digital shorts and became, between the three of them, became this kind of rap comedy group uh, that have released several albums before this movie even, uh, which I've been a fan of since before they even released their first one and I've listened to every single one. So this was pretty much something that I was destined to like. But I actually think it exceeded my expectations, not because it was a masterpiece or anything like that, but because I was it was one of those situations where I'm like, you know, will even I be able to tolerate this for 90 minutes? In fact, I think it's only like 80-something, I mean, which I think is good because that's one of the fatal mistakes of a lot of comedy these days. I think the TED 2 was like two hours long or something. Uh, hey, you look, look at like movies, even a movie that I think is, at this point for me, like a, a comic, um, one of my favorite comedies of all time, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which is like yeah. two hours and All Apatow movies are yeah. like two and a half, practically yeah. train wreck with way too long. Yeah. And I like that movie. but um, So I, I, I applaud them just for that alone. And I think that actually extends to the whole movie, which is that I think these guys, uh, whether you don't find them funny or you do, uh, one thing that I do think that they're pretty much objectively good at, and that's, you know... I guess my subjective opinion, but is comedy pacing. If you don't laugh at the joke, that's one thing, but they know how to move through these jokes in a way that does not kill any momentum and just continue to move through them in a way that neither cheapens the joke that they like go right past, but also uh, throws like the, throws another one out within the next few seconds just to make sure that you're still on board if you didn't like the last one. And I just thought that the script was fantastic. It's in a mockumentary setup. So, you know, there are these fake talking heads, which are populated by some of the most popular uh, and well... Does Kanye West make an appearance in this movie at all? Would you like me to tell you? I mean, I, oh. I'm never... I'm, oh, I mean, if you have to say that, like... I'm never going to see it. He's so. not in it. No. Okay. Oh, I think that would have been a little too... Uh, I don't know, like, well, I'm a nose, and also, like, I don't know if they really would have gotten him to do whatever. He's already been in a movie. Yeah, he has. um, Anchorman, too. Yeah. That's right. But I don't think they would have gotten him to do what they want, because they're comedy, you know, they write their own stuff. It's not like these people just showed up and said whatever. Yeah. Doesn't he hate SNL? Yeah, well, he hates anything for, like, at least a hot minute. Um, but was some it, of the, I, I'm oh, yeah. sorry. I, oh, yeah. I, I hate what, wasn't he the musical act on the 40th anniversary episode? Am I remembering that correctly? Um, yeah, I think he, I can't remember if he was there. Cause I, I'm feeling like I distinctly remember cause I, I don't pay the one where he was like it. rowing around on the floor. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah I, was, I, I believe that was the 40th anniversary special. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, no, that's very, uh, shall we say related to this kind of content because <laughs> this movie centers around a artist who's completely full of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite jokes, and this is kind of the main, uh, thesis of the movie is how just oblivious Connor is to the world around him that doesn't, you know, is not occupied his own by his own thoughts. So he has like a new single that he's dropping with pink who plays herself and does a chorus for his, and her acting career didn't really pan out. No, no, but she's good here. Cause <laughs> oh, all she's good. doing is singing. <laughs> and, um, what's great is and that's what some of the that's some of my favorite jokes in this movie is that you don't realize why the jokes are funny until you cut to the next scene and then you realize what he just said was either stupid and wrong or whatever so for example there's a scene in which he's talking about his new single with pink and he he says this 
literally verbatim, he says something like, my new single's coming out, and it touches on some issues that I think are being sadly ignored by the world at large. And and his single is all about gay rights and how gay should be able to marry, which is hilarious because Connor is the kind of person that would think that he's the only person who's thought of this before. And, and of course, the whole single is based on the uh, chorus of him saying, I'm not gay, but it's like he has to remind everybody of his own heterosexuality. So I think that kind of lamps... very insecure, but at the same time, he's trying to... Yeah. He's, he's trying to espouse for, for gay rights, but he's too insecure of his own self to just like... He doesn't have to tell people that he's straight or that no, he's gay. And, and the way he shouts it is just hilarious. And it totally I'm rem- not gay, but <laughs> and it totally reminds me, in my opinion, of uh, of recent things like straight white male celebrities like Macklemore. Because there's even a line in because as we know, Macklemore released that song, and I'm not saying that that means he's a bad person, but how he released that song about a gay couple and he basically went on a press circuit interview saying like, well, I just think it's ridiculous that gay people can't be a pop song. It's like, no, they can be and don't pretend like you're somehow affecting change or whatever. But there's a line in this song that I feel like expertly sums up maybe what (laughs) happened there, which is Connor says something like, and if this song gets me laid, then so be it or something like that. Yeah. So I thought the movie was hysterical. It has, uh, it's definitely rated R. It has one of the best, if not the best, dick joke I've seen in a movie in like years because I was not prepared for that. That was that was hilarious. Um, but the songs are fantastic because that's usually like that. That was pretty much the bare minimum the movie had to do because the Lonely Island is first and foremost a kind of a comedy musical troupe. Yeah. Uh, so between the Bin Laden song and the Mona Lisa song and quite a few others. Uh, I just thought it was hysterical, and I'm very, very ashamed of my country because of its poor box office performance. <laughs> that's the reason? I am, yeah. Because, I mean, well, there's a lot of reasons to be ashamed of America. I mean, yeah. I love America, but still. The election is whatever, but the fact that nobody has <laughs> seen Popstar is fucking pissing me off. And you know what? Here's what I'll say. I know I'm biased because I like The Lonely yeah. Island, and I like the movie Popstar, but I mean that in, a, in an actual legitimate, I think, way. In the sense that I can't believe that in a movie I didn't like, like The Nice Guys or whatever, that movies like Popstar or The Nice Guys are not getting people in the seats because we'd rather see something we've already seen before. Like, uh, And I know that that's not new to 2016. I'm just saying it's very, very sad that it seems like we're going further and further away from it, too. Like, it's like it's well, not getting better. It's getting worse. I, I think it's twofold because, A... As, as you know, and maybe some in the audience know, I'm not sure, but Andy Samberg is not my particular brand of vodka. Um, no, but he's host of the Emmys. I mean, it's not that's like... That's fine. A lot... No, but I'm Great. saying... That's fine. Good. No, but, okay. I, no, I'm, all I, I'm just like, saying... All I'm saying is that that means he's not an unknown person that nobody likes. Clearly, he like is sought after. He's leading up one of the best sitcoms currently running right now. And that That is all potentially... True, and it is. Right, it is. Uh, but but I will say that for me, like I honestly am good without Andy Samberg. Like I, right. But I, how does that have to do I, with like the because I think a lot of growing trend of like original comedy. It, it doesn't. I, I okay. that's why I was saying it was twofold because I think there are people who actively, including me, who actively decided to take a pass on this movie because of a Andy Samberg and b the type of comedy that is being shown in the trailer at least. Of what this film was going to be. To be fair, um, not actually me seeking out information about Popstar. I haven't actually seen a lot of stuff actually like pass along my my casual um, like 
exploration of the internet in the, yeah. in the last couple of weeks about pop stars. Like mm-hmm. I've seen the the trailer when it came up on I think Slash Film like a couple of like maybe over a month ago or something like that. But like other than that, I would actually have to like go out and seek out information about that film and but, advertisement uh, that, about that, that film. That, I think that's the the weird thing about Hollywood and about the film industry is that pretty much every every company now tries to go with what they figure to be a sure thing, which is a previously successful property. And yet, um, as Tucson alluded to, we I mean we're we're seeing a decline in the theater that is even reaching like perplexing levels where you're like, well, why is it down so much? Well, Nobody wants to fucking go see another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Nobody wants to see another Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland movie. Even though I want to see it, nobody probably wants to go see Now You See Me Too. There was just don't. There was so, a, a great article that actually like recently came out that I think I linked you guys to. That, that's what I was referring to. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Hollywood's problem with millennials is like they've tried to basically curtail um, people going to streaming services by like placating to these pre-existing properties through sequels, which have pretty much held a monopoly over much of the revenue for, for like film goers, like coming up like for the past couple of years. But those numbers are still retreating and shrinking because like more viewers are going to more streaming services, such as like Netflix or they're just their attention spans or whatever it is. They just don't see themselves going to the theater that much. Like unlike us who like, we go to the theater at least like once a week typically yeah. or watch a film. Once I'll a go week, see like movies a... that I genuinely pretty sure, like I can predict I won't uh, like, but you still find it to be an edifying experience to go yeah. see a film. And, in and spite e- of it. even though you went, because I wanted to go see it, like you went to go see Exodus yeah. gods and Kings in the theater, even, right. even though you didn't necessarily want to go see it, you just still so you went have to an the opinion of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's half that. And it's also just half the fact that like the day we lose the, like the movie theater as a concept, which I don't think is like, I, I it's not I in danger of that or anything. It's not in danger of that, but I feel like we're in danger of a weird version of that, that we're not seeing coming. I think it's already been, it, it, it's already been a, in a long time coming. Now, now that we have like chain, uh, movie theaters. We don't have like movie theater houses that used to be like these huge elaborate places where people will actually go. These would usually be like the watering holes, so to speak, of people actually yeah. going to see films. I mean, I mean, at least there are those places that people can go see films at if they want to. But when I, uh, I was recently talking to uh, a friend of my father's about uh, the screening room, the idea of like people being able to just like pay for a service where you're able to stream films from the theater like into your actual home and they were genuinely kind of excited for that. I was like, wow. He's like, you mean I don't have to like pay for all this sort, sorts of stuff? I can just, I know Nick's just shaking his head in such disapproval Whoa. and I know how you feel, buddy. I know. But see, I'm, I'm saying this because there is a genuine demand for that sort of service. But it's at the, the same time, <laughs> you're, sacri- you're, you're, but, you're taking convenience and also sacrificing, I think, a very but intrinsic you, experience if, of if, like watching if, a film. If, let's just say – if you are a consumer who who enjoys casually going to the theater, not mm-hmm. like we do, who, as Tucson mentions, we probably go every week, every two weeks, multiple times a week, whatever. Yeah, but five if you, times in a weekend. Yeah, if you are a casual film viewer, who maybe goes maybe one like once a all, month, all the three or maybe four times a year. Oh, even even that, even better. Let's go see a Star Wars. Well, no, no matter what you're going to see in the theater. 
the lax standards of theater etiquette has reached fever pitch, at least for me. Like, you can pretty much do anything you want in the movie theater, and no one is going to bat an eye. I went and saw Zootopia by myself, uh, like a weird pervert. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I just felt weird. Anyway, uh, at like a a 9.30 showing one time after work, because I figured, like, I don't like seeing kids' movies in theaters, because I actually respect children and think that they should be able to pretty much do whatever they want at a children's movie. Like, I don't begrudge parents to, like, like if we're in a movie that's not for children and they won't shut up or they whatever, then yeah, I think that's pretty stupid, but if it's a children's film, I, I don't blame them. Like, this is for yeah. them. So, yeah. I try to go at, like, weird times and whatnot. So, I went in a 9.30 show aid one time after work to go see Zootopia. I'm not kidding. I walk in. I'm the only person there, thank God. <laughs> then three people walked in. And whatever, but it was a a mother, a father, and a child, and they sat directly in front of me. Didn't quite understand that because there they was... wanted the best seat, and the best seat just happened to be in front of you, blocking your view. I guess, guess so. Go but fuck like, yourself. You, know, Nick. you can see that I'm <laughs> fucking five feet tall. You can uh, move that shit somewhere else. Uh, but the person who sat directly in front of me was the father of the in the equation here. Okay, mm-hmm. and the father started vaping <laughs> during the movie. Like I'm, oh I'm not making the started started vaping during Zootopia. What the fuck? <laughs> so what then I just leaned happening? over I just leaned over his head and just started blowing the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but like he started doing that, and it took him like a good twenty five minutes before he realized that that might impede my view, who already has a fucking glossy cataract in his right eye. So um, add that and well, add what, smoke. What, what theater are you in here? Are you in like a Cineplex Odeon theater? No, it's just it's at not... Charlestown. <laughs> okay, you, that's why. You, I, I mean, some people have have their their morals and 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 have their. Um, hey. Hey man, don't this sh- was like a one dollar movie. I got it. Yeah, I, I, it, don't tread on him and his sick vape no, clouds. No, this wasn't no, on Cicero no, no. Avenue. I'm, I'm, I'm not even disagreeing with you, but if it were me, I've I've long gotten past vaping. Uh, well, vaping—that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, uh, guys, vapor over here. Oh, for God's sakes! I've long gotten past the the moment of it being the principle of I'm not moving because, like, as soon as that started, I would have gone to the back of theater and sat by myself. The problem is I'm such a stubborn asshole that, <laughs> but I won that one because I appreciate it, it that. took him 25 minutes, but it took him at least he figured it that like maybe that wasn't like the best place to sit if you wanted to do that. In fact, I don't think it was really him because I feel like I saw his wife kind of tap his shoulder at the point like this. So he he got up and actually sat away from his own family just so that he could vape. So no, he, everybody he, vaping no. it's tearing families apart. Look, look, just just for a second. So not he didn't stop. No, no, no. He just he just went over. He he didn't stop to enjoy watching Zootopia in an empty movie theater with his uh, with, with his yeah. family. He instead got up and walked away to continue vaping in a yep. movie theater. Wow. Yeah, are you he, allowed to smoke in a movie theater? You shouldn't be. I don't think you are. Well, no. if, if you want to talk to the vaping culture, they'll say it's not smoke. No. Nope. Oh, okay. But it's just it, hot we, air. We, we, we know better. Us, yeah. us who have brains. Yeah. My, so, yeah. <laughs> like, going back to, to people inter- interrupting you in the theater, like when I went to go see X-Men uh, Apocalypse with my dad, there was just this woman behind us. There, Smoking there, a blunt? No, there was a chorus. There was not just one, but there was almost like five irate, like single-digit children, like in the lower single digits, just screaming in unison. And I had to turn to the one behind me. I'm just like, like, please, 
like, Miss, please, I'm trying to watch this film. That's the thing. I'm, that's I'm not, not a be children's asshole. movie. So there I, I completely not. understand. Like, if it's Zootopia or whatever. This is I, supposed to be a superhero film. Have yeah, you watched but, a superhero but, film but, lately? Let's forget about the children for a second. Like, with the first time I went and saw The Revenant, and we have a group of teenagers sitting in front of us. Okay. And... I thought you were about to say somebody brought their eight-year-old to go see The no, Revenant. No, okay. which wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but and it was a group of like old teenage, older teenagers, young 20s, whatever. Yeah. So they're sitting, for the most part, talking through the entire film, which, of course, I was really excited to see this for the first time, and it's not a very loud film. Fucking stupid-ass kids. Yeah. And also, they decided to make comments throughout it that were just the most ridiculous, ludicrous things, like talking about how they thought that Leonardo DiCaprio's character was gay because he got naked to get inside the, the dead horse to stay warm. And I hope I those like, kids die in the wilderness because they're too <laughs> proud to go inside that horse. I hope they die I, in the wilderness. I hope they never I'm read not gay, Hatch- but... I hope they never read Hatchet. See, here's the thing. And, and maybe, Gary Paulson. May, yeah. and it, it's not like where there's a huge generational difference. I am 29 years old, and the people who I'm talking about are like... Shit, 10 you're years- like knocking on death's door. Shut off. the fuck up. <laughs> or like 10 years younger to me. It's not like I'm an old man talking about this here. It, it, we, there's just like this difference in opinion with how theater etiquette, like, like I can't even imagine talking during a movie or I, other than the occasional whisper to somebody I'm with. Like, I, I can't imagine just sitting there and just nonchalantly just openly talking or, or I mean, vaping I, or whatever. I, I remember being a, a stupid-ass teenager, like, talking during at least, like, one film when I was much younger, and I feel absolutely terrible about God, it because I, I ruined it for some I know I do. I feel, I feel totally terrible about that, but there's only one film that I feel like it was a miraculous occurrence where I was, I was part of an entire theater group who went to go see a film, and we all decided in unison to heckle this film, and it made the film better for it. And that was watching the film Splice. Never watch that film because it is a piece of shit. It is absolutely terrible. But it was made better for that night being able to just make fun of it and just like, oh my god, what the fuck do we do? We fucked up. No, you fucked it. Um, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you should go see it. It's funny. Um, But yeah, uh, going back to... Did you wrap up Weekend Review? I was going to mention one other thing, but do we even have time I mean, we talked about this for the last fourteen minutes. So, to be yeah. fair, it's not like I completely no, created. This. But I think yeah. I think this is this has been entertaining. So I think this so. Has been good. I'll mention one last thing. Go which for is, it. I watched the new Bo Burnham special on oh. Netflix. And uh, I also will stop paying attention. Wow. <laughs> hey, you like some of his stuff. I do, and some of his stuff makes me just as angry as when I watch Andy Samberg. So there okay. you go. Yeah. I don't get that. That's I get okay. Andy Samberg. That, that's because we're on a, a different level with, but see, with you didn't comedy. Even, but... You didn't even finish it. That's humor, bruh. Okay. Now continue. Please, please well, continue the... with why you either enjoyed it or didn't. I did enjoy it. Shocking. This is, uh, you know what? I'm trying to talk over here. I'm trying to let you. You Go ahead. want Catnick to come back? <laughs> no. Please just please just talk about Bo Burnham. Yes. So his new special. Or, or, that's his name, right? Yes. yes. Okay. New special is called Make Happy. Mm-hmm. And I think this is his fourth special. Uh, after watching it, it feels like it might be his last. Uh, <laughs> no, and I mean that in a good way. Like, oh, okay, this is the sum total of like what he's been slowly evolving towards. And it seems like there's quite literally nowhere he could go from here unless he goes back to a more routine song and dance show. Um, but... 
Yeah, I've, I've been a fan of all of his specials, uh, especially the last one, which was a very avant-garde performance, which I thought was both hilarious, but also weirdly dark and uh, kind of interesting and fascinating to follow. Here, he strips away almost all pretense of a comedy show, which doesn't mean that it's not funny. It is, and oftentimes hysterically so, but... Here, by the end of his show, all the jokes he's been making throughout his entire career, and especially in this one concentrated show, about how he's a very depressed individual and how these jokes are meaningless and they can't actually bring joy into anybody's lives, um, start to take on a weirdly poignant reality by the end of it, in which he emulates a Kanye West rant, so to speak. Because he's like, you know, I've been following Kanye's career for a while now, and He goes, it seems like at a lot of his concerts, he will go off on these weird musical rants where he'll just kind of derail the show and talk about whatever he wants. He really needs public speaking lessons. Like, I I honestly, I'm not saying that to, I'm I'm sorry to derail off of this again. It's like, but this is my genuine opinion about Kanye is just like, I think that he was recently on on Ellen where he was like talking about stuff and how he was freaking out on that. And everybody was just like freaking out over him and his rant for that. And I was like, I genuinely think like he needs public speaking lessons because I don't think that he knows necessarily how to express himself. I think that he is intelligent. I think that often he shoots from the hip. He shoots his mouth off from the hip and he usually buries himself because of it. And I think that he knew how to actually like identify his audience and what he actually has to say within himself. I feel like we would curtail a lot of the controversy that we would have and be able to actually like have like some intelligent conversations but here's the thing his ego is way too big to ever allow for him to be able to actually take lessons from somebody else on something that he already does so much i agree with all of that but i guess really quickly to follow that up as Mm -hmm. a quick reaction at least Uh, but i also think that He's also sometimes not a great person. No, like, it doesn't not, matter. If, not a, no. Like it doesn't matter if he got more articulate. He I know. would be saying yeah. certain things that are just plain bullshit. I know. Yeah. Uh, like Bill Cosby's innocent, yeah. or like Taylor, I own. Like he owns Wiz Khalifa's kid. Or like or something he made like that. Taylor Swift famous. Or yeah. Whatever. So like, I feel like some of that like isn't going to be helped by a better speaking. I think some of his other shit, like when he makes these appearances, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just needs a whole makeover in yeah. a lot of different areas. But. Going back to Bo Burnham, uh, he he makes a joke because he talks about that, and he's like, so you know what? I'm going to do that too. And so he goes into this like eight-minute epic, I don't even know what you'd call it because it's musically inclined because he's got music backing up what he's saying, and he's using the uh, the auto-tune and whatnot. That's like the most mundane yet depressing and real things I've ever seen. Like it, it, it's it starts as this like monologue about how he gets upset when he goes to Chipotle and he orders too many ingredients, but they don't tell him that in advance. So then, what do you? you know, but I feel then, that, bro. Yeah, and but then he moves away from that, and he goes, "But none of that matters because nothing matters." And at a certain point, like that's his style of humor. But by the end of this show, it's like the, the cracks are finally starting to show. And, and that's that's his final statement. And uh, I thought the show was equally that kind of poignant and uh, but also hilarious. And it's something I would totally recommend to anybody who's may, maybe doesn't really like stand up. And I know that sounds weird because but Bo Burnham is I think a ma- uh, made for the people who don't like the comics who simply do stand up, who get up there and just tell their stories. And I don't think there's anything wrong with stand up, but I can understand why someone might not gravitate to the genre that looks exactly the same no matter who gets up there. I mean, I know they tell different jokes and they can have different dialects or they can, but it is the same exact format. And Bo Burnham seems to be one of the only people who is trying to do something with that and trying to say something larger than that. And 
trying to move within the idea that it has to have a rhythm of joke, laugh, joke, laugh. So I thought this was his best special yet, and as a thesis of what his entire career has been heading towards, and I'm genuinely trying to figure out for myself whether I would include it on my, like, as a film, like, because if I do, it's probably in the top five films I've I've seen this year because of how powerful it was and how much it transcends the stand-up format. So, I and I think for someone who maybe didn't like, um, I'm not saying you will like it, Alex, but mm-hmm. I think it doubles down on the avant-garde parts of his last special, but does it with much more poignancy this time around, so it has a different, slightly different feel, at least. So, like, someone could easily hate this if they don't like Bo Burnham, but I talked to some people who haven't liked Bo Burnham at all and liked this special because they said he finally did something worth it. I feel like Bo Burnham's kind of in a weird place for me, kind of my jokingly complaining about him aside... Uh, I have enjoyed things that I've heard from him in the past, and there are things from him that I've gotten a little tired of or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, is it on Netflix? It's it the is. biggest question. So, yeah, yeah. No, that, and it's a Netflix exclusive. It okay. was made for Netflix. Cool. Yeah, well, so, that, that, that raises the chance of me seeing it. I was going to say, and, um, at the very least, I thought one standout as just as far as what was funny about it was there was a great track in which he parodies uh, what we call arena country music, which is mm. that they all sound the same, and yet yeah. they also sound slightly rapey. And oh, his yeah. song uh, where he just inserts like a Mad Libs of the most stereotypical country uh, lyrics where He's good even, at that. Even at one point when he just started saying noun, noun, adverb, like I thought was quite hysterical. So see, I just have to ask this because this is my go-to for making fun of uh, rock country as it is now. Is there a line in there about how he loves his daddy at all? Uh, I feel like there probably is. I like Literally, I think the first line is like a cold beer, a warm <laughs> night. Like it's just like the okay. most, you know. Okay, but, uh, cool. So yeah, I, I recommend it for at least for people to try Cool. So there you go. Bo Burnham, make happy. Let's move on to Dusant, since myself and Nick have taken up 42 minutes already. Okay. Yeah. Um, go ahead. You have uh, 40 seconds. All right. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to talk a little bit longer than that. Shocking. But, uh, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, no problem. Just being a dick. <laughs> um, 20 guys. seconds I'm, left. I'm only going to talk about <laughs> one film that I saw this past week, because I feel like it's the one that stuck out in my mind the most, and it's a documentary. Um just to to clarify, as of this recording, it's been like less than a week since uh, Muhammad Ali uh, passed away, mm-hmm. um, and I'll, I'll be honest, like I I'm I'm, I'm not gonna gonna bullshit and say it's like oh man he was such a hero to me in my life like i really didn't know about muhammad ali before this i had always known about him t- tangentially through quotes that my teachers would use in order to like teach me like you know if you are if you're 20 years old and then you're 50 years old and you haven't learned anything that you've wasted like 30 years of your life and like kind of trying to espouse like like a, a hunger for for continuous lifelong learning in me and so finally i watched bill siegel's like 2013 uh documentary that i had wanted to watch before this before he passed um uh, called the trials of muhammad ali and it was fascinating it was absolutely um incredible like seeing like how he came up as a young uh boxer cassius clay and then he went on to represent America in 1960 and win the gold medal for boxing. Mm-hmm. And 
he went on to to beat Sonny Liston in I think it was 1964 at the age of 22 and become the worldwide like boxing champion. Back this, when boxing was actually a thing. Back when boxing was actually a thing, and then he changed his name to Muhammad Ali when he converted to the the five percent nation of Islam, and he and that, that's that's really what the center of this entire documentary is. It's not about his boxing; it's about literally the trials of Muhammad Ali, like how he decided to abstain from actually committing to the draft for for Vietnam and proclaim himself as a conscientious objector and how that entire trial went. And like, not only after he was stripped of his boxing title and stripped of his, of his, um, his, his mantle to that, he couldn't box anymore anywhere. Um, he basically like took on a life of, he, he was in a Broadway play, which was, from the looks of it, not very good, but still the fact that he had the, the versatility even to go out for that, that was interesting, how he yeah. had to adapt to that. Like, prob- prob- probably in the same realm of uh, Mike Tyson being in movies. Yeah, but he, he <laughs> went on like different types of college tours and like talking about stuff, and it's just... Uh, the, the more I've, I've learned about this guy's life, like I I came across this this Facebook post which was talking about this um, the, these, these nine U.S. soldiers that passed away this past weekend... But they didn't get any attention, and instead we gave attention to this so-called racist boxer who was a traitor and decided to, to mm-hmm. desert his country for not going to the drafts. Like, first off, there's a lot of things that – there's a lot of context about that that I feel like is really reductionist and narrow-minded and obviously disingenuous to what his life was and what he believed in because I don't think you can call a man who – represented uh, America in the Olympics and after the fact, after all of this time, like, in 1990 he went to Iraq in order to like, basically negotiate the release of 15 American hostages from Saddam Hussein and during that time, and I just recently learned this, like, he had already been diagnosed with Parkinson's from from being a wrestler, like, out of those injuries, so he couldn't... Meet a boxer. He couldn't, yeah, as, as a boxer, sorry, it's like he couldn't speak as eloquently as he could before he ran out of his medication while he was on that trip and could barely speak and yet he got all 15 of those american hostages how can you call that man a fucking traitor who did that i think another thing is too and i don't mean to get into any sort of a political debate in in any way shape or form good because we'll fight you I think we'll be on the same side, so I, I yeah. don't really think there will be a lot of fighting here. Yeah, I'm going to switch sides. <laughs> wow. Civil war. <laughs> but if, if you look at Muhammad Ali and, and him being a draft dodger during the Vietnam War, and then and then we see the, the horrible way that the Vietnam War went, and then that the draft is pretty much abolished afterwards – Nobody's taken any any sort of grasp from that. They're just still going with, well, he, he, yeah. It's like you're just you're just saying that on it on its on its face as yeah, he didn't go for the draft, so he's a traitor. It's just like, do you have you actually read up about the Vietnam War and what that First bullshit all, was about? I think it was just a conflict. I don't think it was a, a war. It's it's termed as a war, but you know, it's 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 basically the 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 the, 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 sem- the semantics of it. Yeah, it's like it's it. That's a whole, watch. That, watch any sitcom from the seventies and or eighties if it's about uh, the decade after, mm-hmm. and you, there will be one episode that devotes a subplot to one of the characters being a draft dodger. Like that's how prevalent the idea of how much shit uh, people were not willing to put up with back then. Yeah, it's yeah. just um, for good reason. And, and, and the reason why people like went out for that is like I'm not going to try to like spiral out of this, but it's also talking about one of the centerpieces of Muhammad Ali's life and of his legacy. I think that I oh, go, go, going going back a bit is just like I'm not really a fan of how 
his death has been after her having learned about his actual life and how honestly legendary his fucking life is like i i i didn't know half the shit that he did and it's an, it's incredible what he actually like like set out to do and actually accomplished for there's so many things to his legacy that i feel like are being glossed over for the fact of the typical formula of of memorials that we devote to him like we've sanitized his memory for the fact that he used to be in the 60s a dangerous and subversive figure for the fact that he was part of the five percent nation because he was a draft dodger or or a conscientious objector from the vietnam war because of all these different things because he was an an audacious outspoken black man who was willing to say that he was the greatest and actually have the audacity to actually love himself publicly in front of other people. Was, he was like Kanye of his time, only more articulate and more well, eloquent. Uh, yeah. I know I know. nobody wants to – as soon as I say that, it's like it's going to make people cringe. Like I'm not equating them yeah. the same two. I think that Ali is more worthy of, of that status than, well, than Kanye ever was. I, th- I think the other thing about Muhammad Ali that is, is, is one of the easiest things to grasp onto is his – extreme quotableness over time but he it, was poetic yeah and he also was ahead of his time in terms of being able to be well spoken in terms of of not necessarily even giving the media what they want but knowing how to play the game and sort of um ramp up the 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 industry that he was in like that that's a guy who had extreme confidence in in what he was doing which is the cornerstone to any you know and at- any successful business whatever venture you're in and he at the same time i mean I, I i can't even think of somebody from that time that was not a like president or something like that having that many quotes or video captures from you know 40 years ago now that i've seen over and over and over again like just over time, it's so many lines and and sayings that just got caught and just became almost historic. And it was it's, it's and floats a, like a butterfly, stings, stings like a, when you pee. I mean, stings are, like a bee. Yes, <laughs> like before he oh, okay. be, before he went out to, to fight sense. Sonny Liston, like he was very outspoken. But afterwards, he was un, almost uncharacteristically very stoic and not very talkative. And people wanted to have a comment for him. And just like you know what. I said what I was going to do. I went out and did it, and I think I've already proved my point. And people were trying to like, project things onto him. as like, are you going to go out for the civil rights movement? Are you going to go out for these other things? And it's just like, you know what? I don't have to be what you want me to be. I'm going to be who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Like, but yeah, that's, that, that, that film is incredible. Um, Muhammad Ali is incredible. And I think that, honestly, that's probably the best documentary you should watch if you want to learn more about him and his life and his legacy so i wholeheartedly uh, recommend watching bill siegel's uh the trials of muhammad ali mm. good stuff well thank you for bringing that to the table yeah and um you know that's something that it's one of those things that now for the moment i am interested in but it might be one of those things that fade like i was interested in looking up more on Prince, and then like a week later, I'd forgotten. I already went to go see Purple Rain in theaters. I remember. I'm really glad that I did that. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, so the film we are talking about this week is Yorgos Lanthamos's The Lobster, which is about a dystopian near future in where single people, according to the law of the city, are taken to the hotel where they are obliged to find a romantic partner in 45 days or they will be turned into an animal. Have you ever been on your own before? No, never. Your last relationship lasted how many years? 
Around 12. Sexual preference? Women. Is there a bisexual option available? No, sir, this option is no longer available. Hmm. And the dog? My brother, he was here a couple of years ago, but he didn't make it. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. As you understand from your brother's experience, if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here, you'll turn into an animal. Have you ever danced with anybody? Yes. As an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. What sort of dancing did you do? Just depends on the music. Mind if I join you? It's no coincidence that the targets are shaped like single people and not couples. Did you catch rabbits? Catching a rabbit is difficult. Thank you very much. If you need more rabbits, I'll bring you more. You promise? You can be alone as long as you like. There is no time limit. Any romantic or sexual relations are punished. We have to be totally synchronized. Three, two. You're like a brother to me. Oh, you're my best friend in the whole world. I don't think I'm your best friend in the whole world. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. A lobster is an excellent choice. If you encounter any problems you cannot resolve yourselves, you will be assigned children. That usually helps. The film stars Colin Farrell, Rachel Weiss, also Olivia Coleman is here, and a number of other people who make an appearance that are kind of minor actors. And then we have some that are, are more well-known now, like John C. Riley and Leia Sadu. So And Ben Winshaw. Oh, yes. Who I didn't realize was him for some weird reason. Like, I kept thinking that looks like Ben Winshaw, but it wasn't until the credits were like, that was Ben Winshaw. Oh, yeah. I was, I was on board with it being him, yeah. him right away. Uh, this is a very, I wouldn't say different film, but it is a, a very um, non-mainstream film. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, something that uh, I think we all are surprised. Well done, Nick. Nick just killed a bug. Yep. Way to go, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it, it, he it, didn't make it. I was going to say, <laughs> that may have been a character. I, I don't know. Um, it, it is a film that I think oh, we're all... Su- me. <laughs> we're all surprised uh, has made it into mainstream cinema for the most part. Like, this film is at most movie theaters around us, and we don't live in, like, a very uh, populated area in terms of art house film theaters. Like we live in an area where movie theaters play the popular films that are around. And then when they're done, they're gone. And it's, it's like a three week turnaround for most even pretty big films. Fields as far as the eye can see. It's the, it follows effect. Well, I, I know you don't like that film, but it's the word of mouth that carries it. Horror movies do better. But yeah, I I, I was going to say the market appeal. The lobster didn't, doesn't have the, um, word of mouth appeal that a film like it follows has, but it does have a very intriguing story. Uh, it does have an interesting premise in this at the same time. 
And it does follow a very uh, interesting arc throughout it in terms of where you start with the story and where you end with it in terms of, I guess I would say, the tone of the film is, is one way. So The it, ending is going to piss a lot of people off, and I love it for that. Eh, I, I, I don't necessarily know. But do you guys mind if I start off? I, I know, Nick, you, you absolutely really wanted to see this one. You're the one who suggested it. Um, so... If you want to start off, that's fine, or I can... You can start. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. This is, start right off the bat, not my kind of cup of tea, usually. I, I would say, um, the, the, just hearing what this was about, I would lie to say I wasn't intrigued, but at the same time, I would not seek out this film if it wasn't for this podcast or for being friends with you, Nick. So, <laughs> But at the same time... Meow. Um, although I, I won't throw the kind of praise towards it that other people have, I still did quite enjoy this movie and definitely think, uh, it is a film that would benefit by seeing a second time. Um, I have to say that, uh, the one movie that I want to compare this to, and it's not necessarily because of the content, but by the way, uh, that the film progressed throughout and how my interest level changed based on this tone change uh, would be the Johnny Depp film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, that might be kind of surprising to hear these films compared because of that. But that film is, I think, very funny for the first 45 minutes or thereabouts. Uh, there are very a very high amount of gags that are quite entertaining and make me laugh every time I sit down and watch it. And then at one point, it goes off the rails, and I really don't care for it anymore. Not necessarily saying that this film, The Lobster, does that, but the first half of this movie, I feel like, is quite entertaining for me. I, I thought it was very funny. I, I laughed very hard at many points, and there's a lot of different kinds of humor throughout this film, which is very important to it being successful comedy, is that it's not just all physical humor, it's not just witty satire, uh, there's a lot of different kind of comedy happening here, and I, I feel like there's something for every kind of film viewer that's interested in this kind of film, let's put it that way. However, after he leaves the hotel and, and goes off with the loners, this film takes on a different approach and a different tone, and perhaps that is more to say about society, about um, the differences between being forced to be in a group or be as a couple as being a, a loner. If we're, if we're going to separate them that um, in that sort of characterization. But for me, I just could not be as nearly entertained or get as much out of the second half of this film as I did the first half. Mm. And it's a, it's a much different kind of film in the second half, I would say. Um, but Different scenery, but I don't know that I concede to the idea that these are two different halves of the movie. I feel like... I, I, I guess I would kind of argue for... Obviously, I would because I'm the one who's saying it. Yeah. But I, I would argue for what I am sort of bringing to the table here because I just feel like the, the tone... And even the the dialogue There's changes a... quite a bit in the in the second half of the film. Like, the moment after... We find out that he has, has murdered his, his couple, not murdered, he had her change into an animal, sorry about that. Uh, and then he basically runs away because he can no longer stay here because he's, he's almost like a wanted fugitive at this point. 
and he meanders off into, into we we enter a completely different story where there's this this leader amongst them who has this but it's not completely different because the loaders have been introduced as early as like the beginning section of the movie it's true yeah but, and I'll even say just really quick mm-hmm. not that I'm giving my opinion but when the movie started I guess maybe if it's just me, but I'm like, oh, okay, at a certain point, he's going to go join them, because otherwise we wouldn't be watching them hunt That's them. true, I, but I will say, let's just take the leaders of both factions, which is the leader of the hotel. Olivia Coleman's character. Correct, and then the leader of the loner crew, which is Lea Sadu. Both performances were actually quite good. Yeah, I like them. However, I will say, the leader of the hotel seems to be ushering in this societal thing of, well, this is what we do, so I'm the one leading us here. Whereas Leia Sadu's character seems to be on this very cult-like personal level with, with the way she's leading her group of loners. And it's the same I, thing. I think that they're I, equally draconian. Yeah. They're yeah. equally they're supposed draconian. They're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Correct, but it's a... Leia Sadu's character of the, lo- of the loner leader is basically... Um, endorsing the inverse of that. I think it's, it's at least from, from what I'm inferring from my reading of the film. And it's just like, it's more of sort of a, not only a societal rejection, but it's also a, um, a rebellion against her own parental unit. And just from the simple fact that she had to like live in that sort of conditions of that area that she kind of like has, as I'm not sure if he's, she is the, the originator of this loner movement, but she has worked her way up to becoming a, a, uh, a reverent uh, loner leader, and so is very much dedicated to and this cause. Each it, of them it, had it, the same, shall we say? Uh, I don't know what I want to say. One but, of one like, of them says that you need to have a relationship in order to live. The other one is if you are in a relationship, then we're going to give you the red kiss, well, or God forbid, the red intercourse. The red kiss, the red intercourse Jesus is no Christ. different than like the toaster. The, like they all have their sets of punishments for whatever rules that they must follow. Well, well, what, they what would it, rule the masturbation. I mean, it's it's just what, what is the the animal sort of movement for the loner what is the animal movement yeah like, like their what, grave we'll leave you to die because okay. relationships uh, as far as like that's their next you know okay. step so no to one will dig your grave for you I, I, and i will say this about this film and this is something to its to its credit um that i no matter who you are as a film viewer you'll get something out of this even though i think every single person who watches this will get something somewhat different out of it depending on how they want to receive this film, which says a lot of good things about this. Even if this isn't my favorite film of the year, which it's not, even if I don't think this is a great film, which I don't think it is, um, I I do applaud what this film shows because it it brings something of beauty to the viewer as as it, it gives you a chance to watch a film and make a decision about what you just saw and not just being fed lines and, and, and story and whatever. So, Nick, I know you and Tucson have a lot to say about this, probably more than I do, which is why I wanted to give you more of a more of a chance to to speak on this and let me get out of the way. So, whichever one of you guys wants to go first, you are allowed to, and and I will go step out of the way for for a minute or more. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, I absolutely love this movie. I thought that this was like one step away from being an instant classic, uh, which means it wasn't, but it was just right there for me. It might grow on you, though. Yeah, I've seen it twice already, and yeah. I I would say I liked it more the second time, so mm-hmm. who knows what happens you know, with more repeat viewings or whatever. I'll concede to one idea of the difference between the first half and the second half, which is that the pacing is, yeah. is somewhat... 
not the best route for the second half compared to what came before. And I say that as someone who loved this movie and really doesn't find fault in it, mm-hmm. but I can understand why it's not conducive to presenting its best foot forward to people who were maybe sucked in by the first half and then had to kind of go through the second half, so to speak. Um, so, like, that's the, the one thing where I kind of... I mean, there's a lot of films like that that, that do that that aren't as... Like, you could be entertained by the... Um, by the sort of lightheartedness of the first half of Fight Club, and then the second half takes a much different tone, even though it's the same film doing the same thing, but it's a it's the same thing in a, in a different sort of direction. Right. I, mm-hmm. For me, at least, I could say that I appreciated the pacing of the second half yeah. because I thought it was purposeful and on purpose. Uh, same fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway... I, I absolutely love this movie. I thought that this was like a the best date movie for single people ever made because I'd agree. Yeah, um, it is not a movie devoid of love and the idea that companionship is essential to some degree. Uh, but what it does is it tears down any fucking notion that the uh, traditional choices that we make as a society the nuclear family or the nuclear couple yeah are in any way somehow the end-all be-all for what is the best way to go about you know getting love and, and being loved in return i mean the the scene in which uh he goes to the hotel for the first time and he has to go through that questionnaire is uh, is fantastic and says everything you need to know about what this movie thinks about uh monogamy um, which can, is can not I just, be by? I'm just like no. This this uh, this option is no longer available due to operational faults or whatever. There are no middle grounds. You either believe in this thing or you die. Yeah, and even that scene also is a great uh, showcase of uh, of the director's talent for audio and visual because uh, when he's after he says can I be by, he's he has to pick one, and you hear the audio cue off screen and of uh, a woman's high heels walking, and he's staring at that, and then that's when he says, mark me down for heterosexual. Yeah. <laughs> so just can, little gags like that, I can, think. Are... If you don't mind if I sneak in something real quickly here, being, being it. Almost a, a interesting question about this weird society that's been created in the hotel. Uh, if we have this idea that that people are allowed forty five days to uh, is it is it merely because they're trying to collect more people? Why they are given an additional day for each person they shoot in the wilderness and bring back with them, like? It seems like that is completely whiffing on the point of what they are trying to to show here, and it, it's just it, it was just kind of well, a, a thing it, to me that it I, is irrational, right? It's because a it's irrational, it's absurd. It's based on a real life uh, predicament, which is that when you're uh, okay, I'll just bear my soul for one second. But as someone who has been single his entire life. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- the the more time passes, the more questions I get at family gatherings of like, oh, are you dating somebody yet? And the more – every time that question gets re-asked, it gets more and more severe as if there is some kind of countdown to when I'll be turned into a fucking jackass. No, I'll be turned into a fucking – dude, I, I feel you, I, man. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm aiming more towards the absurdity it's, of – of taking a gun out into the wilderness and shooting loners, and the more loners you collect, the more days you're allowed to have, which 
it was just kind of a, a weird story aspect yeah, to me, I, which which included an absolutely phenomenal scene with that beautiful music when they are all running through the forest for the great. first time. But yeah, yeah. I I think that that element exists in the film because it, I I think it it makes sense in this sort of society because you basically have. Um, cordoned off these subversive elements that for whatever reason, for whatever rule, whatever conclusions the society has come to and what actually brought brought the road of the society to this point where they're now like shipping off single people to hotels or this hotel in order to be paired off within 45 days or whatever, what almost will be turned into animals. Like I have no idea what kind of crazy, bizarre, bullshit thing that they had to come to in order to like – think that this is the, the the best of all possible options in, in keeping the status quo but i'm gonna i'm gonna use can i can i talk about my my opinion about this film it's like i just jump, sure. jumping into it. it's like there's only one word that i can use to to describe this and i am so hesitant to use this word because it's it's been bastardized it's been uh basically just completely uh, devoid of its original meaning for for how long it's just been been misused but this film is kafkaesque and i'm going to actually explain why what kafkaesque means like kafkaesque is a word that means it's invoking the actual works of franz kafka who... is kafkaesque in the first half or do you think it also in the i think it's kafkaesque oh, okay. like all all, through, anyway, all throughout because like uh, Kafka's writings, such as like the Trial and the Metamorphosis, and like the Castle, for for instance, like they're all films that kind of like deal with the absurdity of a person trying to find meaning in a meaningless world, and also having to be constricted by this this uh, uh, basically a system of bureaucracy of rules that people take to be ironclad. Like in the Trial, like the main character is put on trial and and basically condemned for life for a crime that he ha- that he does not know what he has committed. And I don't think that either the people who are condemning him know what he's committed, but all they know is that the system has put in place that this man is to be condemned for life, and they have no idea why, but they don't care because they're just following orders, right? It's the ins- it's the insanity of just following orders when really those same rules were just made by a bunch of jackasses who aren't a divine authority, who aren't unquestionable, but they're they're just – Following orders in a line, they have no idea where it's coming from. It's fucking absurd, and it's in the same way of like this, where you have these people that are being cordoned off because they're a subversive element, but at the same time, they're being used in order to acquiesce to the status quo by actually hunting down these people and actually turning them into in, in, into animals. And in, it's 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 fucking it's a fucking vicious cycle because what happens if you don't like? Do you want to become them? Do you want to become the animals? Then you're going to have to fucking shoot them. Do you do you want to be able to live in a nice house and be able to 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 go to the movies and have friends and stuff like that? Then you have to have a spouse, even if that spouse has nothing in common with you other than what you've artificially inscribed onto yourself, such as a bloody nose. Even if your spouse is a fucking heartless sociopath and you have to fake your, your entire life through it, you it's better to be unhappy. And in a couple, than to be relatively content and on your own. Real, real question right here, and just is you don't have to. Yeah, we have to talk about this for a long time. Does does this film have any sort of a Stanley Kubrick feel for anybody? I mean, not in, particularly in, in terms of composition. I, in terms of I was scene composition, say, sometimes I got a shining vibe because of the hotel, but the that, symmetry of the actual composition, right? Yeah. But that was more of just like a. 
Even just, like the the surrealness of of the situation in the world that was created in this at all. I would say that there are many. Even though I'm not like a blanking on a specific example, like the witch is Kubrick esque in the okay. uh, for me at least or something like that. But this didn't strike me okay. as something cool. that w- that he would have made in this way. This film made me want to finally just bite the bullet and go see High Rise because I've wanted to go see it and I feel like there there is a lot of crossover in terms of the time period that both of these films are sort of invoking and sort of like the stiff upper lip um, British or European like style of society where like we have to conform to this certain standard of society okay. so yeah but yeah I, I, I mean I I love this film I think it's incredible I think that uh, Colin Farrell like he's I'm not surprised that he's a good actor sometimes I just forget how good of an actor he is apparently only uh, I said this I think on Embridge our podcast but like apparently if you're a director that's not from the US you know how to use Colin Farrell I was gonna say but everybody else in in our own country does not know how to use him he's a very shouty actor usually and this this film is Lacks all emotion throughout, and, that's, and he does a great job with it. That's another uh, thing that I I, I kind of want to talk about is like the fact that everyone, every single character from John C. Riley's character to Ben Wishaw's character to Colin Farrell's character to even Rachel Wise's character, they all speak in sort of like this very level, very monotone, like characteristically passionless, like yeah. sort of uh, intonation of every single character that's actually in there. It's like the, you have the woman. Who, uh, Except for Leia Sadu, who might be like ten percent even less than the rest. Yes, like yeah. she's even more. Oh, I thought you were gonna say she was more. And no, I was no, like, no, I'm oh, saying no. like everybody's the same except for even her character yeah. is like slightly less. Like, my than my, else. my wife, because she saw this movie with us, because she was interested in seeing this, which Aww. was a surprise to everybody, That's I a think. Good but movie, but but she enjoyed <laughs> she enjoyed seeing it. I think uh, the movie she brought up, which is an easy comparison to make, was a film uh, and in the book, The Giver. Yeah, uh, which is. You know, in terms of the, you're talking about lacking emotion in, in a world where decisions are basically made for you, even though they kind of show them as you make decisions, even though they're pretty much not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very similar in terms of of a lot of the things that are happening there. But yeah, I just want to say she uh, she went and saw it, and I was I, I thought she might not like it at all, but but she I think enjoyed it maybe even more than I did. Yeah, so, yeah. like for the. I'm just going to call them the society. For the society, um, I think that the reason for that sort of like standard intonation is because they basically acquiesce their their own standard of living, their own like estimation of how they should live their own lives, even if it's on their own. Whether or not they want to be with somebody or, or they want to be alone, it's like it's still conforming to the standard of the society itself. Whereas for the loners – I feel like even though they are ostensibly free, like by appearance they're they're free, they're not really free because even with Leia Sadu's character, you're saying is like you can only you can dance by yourself, like you can talk, you can have conversations, you cannot have sexual intercourse, otherwise you will be left to die for for basic reasons. And we all listen to electronic music because you cannot just dance with anybody else to electronic music, which I thought was just fucking hilarious. That, that, that scene was wonderful. It was. I was wonderful. Say, that's where I think like that's what I meant by earlier, where I feel like the tone didn't completely shift because that seems sillier than anything in even the first half, just because it was so absurd. I, I um. Really quickly, and, and I know Nick, we got to get back to you a little bit because you you had probably had some a little more to say, but um, I, I love the character of the, uh, the the maid from the hotel who is actually sort of gorilla working with Leia Sidhu's character, feeding her information or or even resources. 
Um, and, and they kind of have this really weird relationship together. I, I, she's a big part of that scene where she's dancing and throwing her leg all the way up in the air and whatever. I doing karate moves. And she's the one who, who goes, sit, goes and sits on, uh, the, the characters as she comes in and, you know, cleans up the room and then kind of gets them hard and then, and then goes away, which is just so. It's awful. Yeah. (laughs) Just awful. But also too. She's involved in, I think, one of the the better scenes of the entire movie, which takes place in the second half, uh, where after Rachel Weiss has been has been blinded um, by Leia Sadu, she takes her to a, a very modern way of, of blinding somebody, uh, taking them to think they're going to have LASIK surgery, and in fact, it's the opposite. She then uses the the maid as a pawn to sort of, and she mirrors what she's doing in a very interesting way, even to the point of like laying down on the ground and, and the way she lays her head down. And that scene was just fabulous, how she holds her out in front and and you see the maid being very apprehensive about the entire thing because she's being led to slaughter. And it's just the way it all plays out is very bizarre and is just delicious at the same time loudless deliciously uh i i I, I was gonna say i teed that one up for you there man thanks man (laughs) um yeah there there's there's basically two qualities that i i really enjoy about this film one you just previously mentioned is like that's horrible that's absolutely horrible when the nurse comes in and just rubs her buttocks on like because i was thinking about that like they're supposed to be here for 45 days and like it's like if you can't find anybody, he's like, why don't you just like fuck one of the nurses or one of the butlers? Like, oh my god, that's even worse. It's even worse. And then like you have the presentation for the actual like people who are at the like, why don't you just hook up with one of the nurses and like just get married with them? I was like, no, that's that's even worse. That's that's awful. That's just awful. But when they have the the presentation for the actual hotel goers. Uh, about what happens when a man is eating alone or when a woman walks walks alone at night. I'm just like, Jesus, this is so fucked up. This is so, that, this is terrible. And then John C. Riley, when he gets caught masturbating in his room, and he, he was just like, what were you masturbating to? It's like, I was masturbating to a, a picture of a naked woman on a horse. If I were you, I would pay more attention to the naked woman on the horse. I would pay more attention to the, to the horse than the naked woman because that's probably what you're going to end up becoming. It's like, now give me your hand. It puts in a fucking toaster, and I'm just like – this is fucking insane. Yeah, but uh, a this lot, is fucking terrifying. A, a lot of those uh, scenes, uh, especially the the scene with the the play that's happening, which has the wonderful applause afterwards by everybody in the uh, dining area. Or yes, any, that's how life works. I, I was just gonna say though, but in terms of how people are presented, things like that, in terms of very bare bones kind of just showing this societal thing of of an undertone thing where here it's loud and right out in front of everybody mm-hmm. that was something nick please continue on i know you had more oh. to say before i go back to my opinion in general yeah. i do want to say two points as to the question we brought up earlier as okay. to like why 45 days okay which is that a i think it's important just on a script level um, when it comes to the allegory at play, that there has to be an end date because then it that would. Uh, it, oh. I, I guess I was more referring to why people are able to add days on. 
by oh. bringing people in. It gives them incentive. I think, honestly, that comes down to a very yeah. simple metaphor, which is that, like, one-night stands, like, you can kind of elongate that feeling that you have value and can make these connections uh, because they are loners, so they, they're not connected to other people. I, I think that's as far as... That's okay. an on-point observation. That's, that's, that's how yeah. I took it, at least. Okay. But I think the idea that it has an end date is important because of what I just said as far as, like, it has to mimic real life because mm-hmm. the closer you get to your, your, your final date, whatever that date might be, because, yeah, you can add a few days or whatever. Yeah. Um, because we see Colin Farrell's character act differently the closer he gets to the end, like when he tries to uh, fake his heartlessness to get with the heartlessness uh, woman. Like, he, he does that essentially because of the fact that time is running out, and some people do settle down because they... Yes and no, because Colin Farrell, I think, is more of a complicated character than this film even lets on, because he's given multiple chances just to... to go with somebody and he basically shrugs it off. Can we talk about like in what instances just so I understand? So the the girl who continuously tries to um be get his attention whether the even, one who commits suicide with yes. the butter biscuits? Well, tries to commit suicide. Here's the thing the, about that. Okay. Just to like as, I mean it, let's just say if if his if his sole goal uh, of the entire process was not dying or not being turned into an animal, he had Ample opportunity to throughout, which is obviously. I don't know if I'd say ample. I'm not saying he didn't have. Well, because he was not like Ben Wishaw, who I think like was could have gotten pretty much anybody. Like I, I think. But I'm I'm just saying if if his sole purpose is to just find a way to not get to the last day, he has an opportunity with the, with the woman who throughout the the beginning part of the film is throwing herself at him for the most part. Yeah. And, and I think that is actually a, he's not another. To settle. I, I think that's another thing, though, in real life, which is that we often want what we can't have rather than what we can. Uh, and also, mental illness comes into play. Like yeah. the minute somebody opens up, then we find them less desirable if we're not already in that relationship. So I think there's actually a lot going on there. Okay. But I think that moment has already passed by the time he makes the real decision to go after her, because hmm. uh, literally they they kind of first start to connect over her death <laughs> i'm just saying so like at that point i feel like he was like shit like there she's now dead and like time's running out so i think that's why he went after that um were you gonna say something yeah um can we can we talk about how fucked up the situation is that this this societal imperative that people have to be in relationships like I, I I just kind of noticed something, especially with uh, Ben Wishaw's character of like him being with a limp and his previous wife being with a limp, and then he kind of fakes or having a uh, a nosebleed in order to be with a nosebleed girl. How fucking old do you think that nosebleed girl was? I thought she looked like she was in like a fucking high school. I don't she th- looked she I, looked I, like an ingenue. I, I don't think age is a, a deal in and this that's society. What, and that's yeah. kind of that kind of fucks me up a little bit because it's just like you got these 40-year-old men that are trying to pair themselves off with like these sub they're not even 20. They're probably like less than 20 I think, looking girls. As far as how I interpret it is that they have to be at least out of high school, so like an 18 so to speak. Yeah, like cut a, off. a something's because they a, talk about a, in their letter about how that when they were in school. Yeah, yeah so, when they're yeah. in school. Uh, which I'm not saying makes it right or wrong. But or no, it, it's it's just it, it, it it's it's sort of fucked up. It, it, how it, 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 it's it, taking the the other thing about this film throughout is is even to the point where you have gotten away from this society uh, as he is out of the couple society in the hotel. Mm-hmm. He is. It's so ingrained in Colin Farrell that he believes the only way 
he can even maybe be with Rachel Weiss character is to blind himself. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. I, and, and I know that that's the end of the film and, and that's kind of an ambiguous way that this film is, is left off. Right. But it, it's very interesting that people find a physical, physically defining characteristic, but whether it be a limp or a nosebleed or being We do that all the time. People though. connect I, over the most arbitrary of I, initial... I, I, don't, like, actually, I don't even mean it in that way, even though I think that that's true. Yeah. I think as far as, like, um, I, I think it's half that and also half, like, there is a, 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 a caste system to mm-hmm. dating, which is that if you have A, then you're with the A's. If you have B, then you're with the B. If, uh, but, you, but if the, you're this, overweight, this... you date overweight people. And I'm not saying yeah. this means it's always true or that that's the way it should be. But I, I think especially with the I thing that, that – uh, I'll, I'll say this. That was another weird reason. It goes to an, a, a obvious extreme level in, the, in this yeah. film where it gets extremely detailed. Yeah. As It's also just another example yeah. example of armor fou, you know, um, from, from the French, madly in love. Like the idea that love will make you do uh, – Whatever. Crazy things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? No? I suppose. I. I mean, you, it, like it, you don't think they're in love, or you don't. Who's think that? Rachel Weisz and. Colin I was Trump. more referring to. Um, ben Wishaw. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. you said the eye thing, so I thought we were talking about. Oh no, Rachel I mean, Weiss I mean, and, I, and I, I guess it's it's kind of hard because this film does do a lot of things similarly throughout yeah. with different characters. So it, it, it is. Ben hard. Wishaw is definitely not in love with right. his mate, but that's also because he's a product of the hotel, and I think that's ultimately this film's ultimate message is that Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz are only able to tr- find what I believe is a form of true love once they exit both of the systems, mm-hmm. you know, the hotel mm-hmm. and the loners. Yeah. Um, uh, just to go back really quick. Yeah, absolutely. So Please. I love this movie. I, like I said earlier, this is like the best date movie for single people. Uh, this was a weirdly profound experience for myself as someone who, like I mentioned earlier, doesn't really date or have any luck in that, which I'm not trying to like whine or anything like that. <laughs> but um, like w- this movie, shall we say, depicted something that I think is very spot on, which is that like dating to me is what peed in public is to some guys like i can't do it when somebody's looking which is like the ultimate like thing that mm-hmm. means that i'm just not suited to date mm-hmm. but that's how these that's how these people uh often are like colin farrell like and uh, especially like somebody like john c Riley's character where like they get thrown in these situations because they're forced to do something that's expected of them and then from that very nature of being told that there is this script they have to follow is what makes them unable to actually follow through dude I've been I when I was a couple couple of years ago, it's like going to like parties when you're like in, in college and your friends are trying to pair you up with somebody, you become this fucking awkward penguin. I just like I have no idea how the fuck am I supposed to interact with this person. Yeah. Don't tell me that I'm supposed to like like them beforehand. Just let it happen. Yeah. And that's what leads me to my favorite scene of the entire movie, which is the scene in which I saw myself in the most, which is that it is not until the uh, for Rachel Weisz and Colin Farrell's character, it is not until the moment that they're asked to role play and pretend that both of them are able to actually let their guard down and do what they want. Because when you remove, under the pretense of acting, yes, and so like when you remove that pretense of like that you're taking a real risk or whatever, that's when they both feel safe to just kind of let it all go. And we see that when they go to visit Leo Sudu's uh, parents, and they they can't and like we see it twice because the first thing they can't stop themselves from 
and like just kind of embellishing their their history together. They get really I mean, wrapped the, up into that. The second scene, I was like half expecting him to start like taking her <laughs> shirt off or something like that. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's the other thing is that in that second scene, yes, they get very handsy yeah. and uh, and grabby, and I <laughs> and I love that um, the way that that plays out because that's also another thing is that we're we're in a society that like is we're bombarded with images of sex uh, with couples and whatever. And yet that is a very real thing too, which is like the minute you start to show it, uh, that is like, whoa, no, that's for the privacy of your own bedroom. And of course I'm saying that there's, there, there should be at least some standards of decorum. Like yeah. you should not whip your dick out if you're at a dinner party Please or something like that. do not fuck on the shiffer robe. <laughs> do not do that. But it is funny like how – that's what I think this movie ultimately says is that there are lines in the sand and the moment you cross them or the moment you you know, you know can't choose one, that's when you're going to be left behind. And, uh, and also even the metaphor with the loners, which is very extreme but so is the hotel, uh, that uh, completely worked for me because that is – is a very real mentality where when you are single... I don't need to be with anybody. I could be my own person. Well, and it's not even that, but there is this... When you're single, I think there's this us versus them mentality, which is that because I'm not what you are, that means I have to somehow be... I have to justify why I am the way I am, which is, like, single. So, therefore, I have to come up with this bullshit, uh, shall we say, cult or whatever. It is very interesting, too, that there is this very weird fighting against them like literally fighting against them whether it be the the group of uh, people who are trying to gain days by going out and shooting loners uh, with with the darts and bringing them back or we have a a very different example which unfortunately reminded me of a very bad movie which is the beach um with uh leonardo DiCaprio and tilda swinton uh because the the scene that uh comes into question in I wouldn't say midway through the film, but when uh, Leah Sadu and uh, Colin Farrell and all of them go back to do their their actions against the people in the hotel, and she tries to force the uh, the, the man and the, the woman who's the leader of the hotel and saying that you have to shoot her and we'll let you live or, you know, we're, we're going to have her you know be the opposite. And he decides to shoot her and he pulls and there are no bullets in the gun and whatever, but... He's already planted that seed that, oh, yeah. yes, he would, which is pretty much the climax of the film, The Beach, where the same exact thing happens and the whole fucking thing falls apart. Yeah. Which, and it's basically saying the same thing, where you cannot have this this society that has this these blanket rules that are so extreme and because there's always exceptions to every rule because that's how life works. Love based on a structure is not love at all. It should only be something that is, shall we say, intangible and something that you can't point to. And and I love also that he gives the answer on a scale of 1 to 15. How much do you love her? 14. 14 Well, I don't love everything about her. It's like, yeah, but... There's the whole scene between uh, Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz's character after she's been blinded where he's basically trying to play guess who with her and like trying to find another thing of commonality between them besides being nearsighted. And so that kind of like bumps into the question of like, well, I believe that these two characters are very much in love, but they're also still very much conscripted into this this model of just like we have to have something – any dating to one site another. Yeah. will tell you that when you want to message somebody that you know you see their profile, that you should read their profile and then respond to something that's in the profile, mm-hmm. as if like they could possibly only. And I get why they would say that, but that is also a completely reductive thing to say, which is that we are just this text on a screen, and like that's the only thing that well, we're just like a list of attributes, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, when uh, and this is a, a different, but when you're talking about online dating as opposed to that, you're you're playing with this large amount of just random data that's in front of you that really you are just trying to find something that is more of what you are trying to to be. And I'm not trying to because obviously I'm, I met my future wife online, so I I'm, I'm a little bit biased. Your future since, wife. Oh yeah, you get married again, huh? <laughs> this fucking guy. Um, and so I'm a little bit biased saying that I that I, I think that that the online dating thing works and, and can work because I'm very happy with my wife and and, and we I'm happy that I, I met her. Fourteen out of fifteen. Yeah, this fucking piece of shit. It's, so, but no, it, it's just just kidding, Emily. If you're listening, she's, <laughs> she said she was interested I was in say, listening that's to why, this episode. Yeah. So that's why I want we'll, to clarify. We'll see. No. You're but, the best. But the, <laughs> she is, isn't she? She's great. Yeah. So, but, aww. Aww. but, but <laughs> this fucking guy, but this is just a very, um, and I, I think that was probably what brings my rating down about with this film is that I feel like even though that is the message that this film leaves no feeling about what this is saying to chance, like this is very clearly putting out every feeling it wants you to take away from it in it even if you take away a different feeling but it but it's not like there's no half-assing here like it's all the way on every single moment of this film i feel like the final moment i think is yeah and and it does have somewhat of an ambiguous the final moment too so if anything that's what a lot of but like that's the thing you're left with is right is this ultimately a good or bad thing like even if you escape the system or is there a reason for these rules or does it protect you against from stabbing your fucking eye out, you know, <laughs> uh, or does it lead to that? Uh, like, yeah. how do you guys take the final scene? A, does he do it? Uh, I don't know. And I love that. I yeah. love that. I don't know. You don't I'm... know, but do you, so that's your answer that you just, you won't pick an answer or, cause I know the, the, the movie itself did not like come out with any answer, but like, do you have a, like a, like my, my, my answer to that doesn't exist in like the, the dualistic of whether or not he did or didn't. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to explain why, why that is. Like I, I enjoy this ending because it fills me with that uncertainty, but it's just like, it makes me question their entire relationship. And I'm just like, what does it. What does it mean to love somebody in defiance of a system while also at the same time in part conforming to some of the, the, the strictures of that system that you have to have? Does he, is it possible for him to be able to love this person while having sight while she's not able to see? Why does that have to be the, the one shared quality that they have to have? Can't you just love this person? It's like, no, you, you have to order – you have to – Blot out your own eyes in order to be like a declaration of that I, person's love while also having a shared quality between if, them. Like, if, what's up? If, if we're if you're wanting actual answers here, uh, my response would be if if I was deciding on it based on that this is a very ambiguous ending and you're allowed to decide what you you want it to be or what you think it might be or whatever. My feeling would be that he absolutely did not blind himself. Really? Yes. Oh, because I'm all the way on the opposite. Yeah, which yeah. is which is is totally fine. Um. I, I guess I just feel like um, getting his character throughout is um, Colin Farrell's character seems to me to expect a lot more out of his um, his the person he's going to be with than he does of himself, and I don't feel like he necessarily grows that much throughout this film. He remains for the most part the same, and I just feel like personally that he would not do something like stab himself in the eye with a steak knife and go through with it 
because I, I, at the, the end of the day, I don't feel like he wants to necessarily punish himself for an, another person, even if he is desperately in love with her. I feel like once she's blinded, he, he he somewhat loses interest. I think so too. Yeah, that's why he keeps on asking for like those those other those other qualities. Like, do you like this? Like, do you speak German? And it's like, well, it's going to take a year in order to like get you to learn German. That's going to be yeah. only the base term. And it's one of the hardest languages and to learn. So he, Even though some of his lost interest is because of the extreme nature of wanting to find someone who has the, the same thing in common, I, I feel like since he is the main character, he is the one character who has more depth than the other people in the film do, it, it, at least from a script level. But yeah, I, I just personally, if, if I want, maybe it's very cynical, but I yeah, I feel like he's just going to leave her there. I Oh, not even like pretend to be blind? Maybe, maybe he would. Uh, I, I, I just, I that's just. The other thing. That's an yeah. Because yeah, like if Ben Wishaw came back, like I did it. It's like hello, honey. Hello, honey. I, oh, I did. don't crap. I mean, what? Yeah. And and perhaps he would. I I just um yeah, yeah I, I I and and you know what the great thing is, is we probably will never know. So and that's yeah. I, I, that's why I love that ending. We we will never know, and it's going to infuriate so many people because yeah. I've I've come up against like not come up against, but have, have watched films and read read things where. The quality of person of a person not knowing, like the answer to the premise of a of a final question at the end because it's meant to be answered on your own, like what you kind of like take away from it. And you're just like, I don't want to have to do that. I want you to tell me what happened. I'm just like, I can't. What are we children? That's that's kind of how I feel, and I'm just like, I don't want to. I don't want to say children will love this. Movie, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to say that, but I feel like I'm just like. We're Daughter off. the whoring, we're, 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 the whoring. <laughs> we're, oh God, we're, we're, we're you should op- be thank you. We're I gave you a limp on, just like your father. We're, we're operating oh, on two different I, levels. I, I have to say, I, I don't, I don't know if I've laughed harder in a, in a theater. This than is in a that viciously moment. funny film. At times, it definitely is. Yeah, but that specific instance, I like had a crack up moment. <laughs> That's in an the Alex theater moment. Yeah, because he he. he Kicks the kid in the leg. He's and, being heartless. Yeah, and he's like, well, well, at least you'll be more like your father now. And just telling that to a kid who obviously is not his actual daughter. It's just, it's, well, oh. just even that idea is another wonderful little allegorical oh, yeah. stab of the idea. We'll that give they, you children. They give you children to yeah. uh, to make your, your relationship work. Yeah, I felt like that was a line placed in to put in the trailer, which it obviously was. But I still think that it's... it's even like if it it's just, a, it was written in there for the trailer. Even if it's a line that works specifically as a, a, a sort of a, a coaxing element in a yeah. trailer, I feel like in in the actual context of the film itself, in the film itself, like it, it's obviously a strong strong enough line to be in the trailer. But I feel like that actually has a genuine place in the film you itself. Say, this isn't like Marvel or something. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's it's not. But it, it's, I was your friend too. It, it, <laughs> At the at the same time, I just feel like that line was one of those like, not that it did, but it was like one of those lines where I was just like, meh, that was like an easy one to to throw in there as an an easy part of the story to say, oh well, we we give you children like, like it was one of those things where like my wife Emily, she she left quite hard at that line. And it it is a a funny line, but at the same time, it just seems to be almost too obvious for me. Nick, really quickly, unless you have something to say about what we were just talking about like a second ago. Um, you said you were on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of the final scene, and I, I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. Oh yeah, I mean, no. I'm first of all, I just want to clarify that I think it, I do think it's ambiguous, meaning mm-hmm. that this yeah. is just what I like 
think, not what I think the movie suggests or anything mm-hmm. like that. But no, whenever I've seen it twice now, so when I've seen it both times, I feel like the first time I was kind of like, oh man, this is too ambiguous for me to make up my mind. The second time, maybe because I was reading into it, having known how it was going to end, right. I definitely think that I'm on the side of him doing it uh, and the film cutting away. Uh, because I think the film, for me, doesn't leave me on a question of whether he does it, but whether this is the right thing to do. Like, whether this is worth it or... and Because that's, that's how I get the most out of this movie and out of his ending. Because I, I think, for me the idea for them finding love outside of these two uh, extreme uh, totalitarian societies, so to speak, uh, that, like, where do, where do they go from here? And so it's like, I, I almost feel but, like but, they... But, but, but oh. wouldn't the ultimate answer for that be that he shouldn't have to? Well, that's the thing, is, though, is that that's what I think is interesting about it, and that's why I think he ultimately does do it for, okay. for me, is that okay. because I feel like that, that is, that's, that's why we, we subscribe to these ridiculous societies, because deep down we do just want to be loved, and what we'll do for it, like, and I know in the movie it's mandated, but still, but like, go to this hotel, or uh, join the, these loners, or whatever, like, we, you know, like, we have to choose yes or no to these uh, insane ideologies, it's because we're, we're just that pathetic as human beings, that we will let that kind of emotion dictate some of our worst impulses, and I think mm. that includes in this movie, because it's more allegorical in nature, not trying to suggest that somebody would do it. I mean, it literally made me think of uh, uh, one of our oldest folklore, uh, not because it's not real, but uh, Vincent Van Gogh cutting Mm -hmm. off an ear. You know, it's like what we do for love uh, in in a time of... uh, In In a time of lovelessness. Yeah, and and in this kind of society which which drives you fucking crazy. (laughs) So I... uh, it's yeah. an act of passion. It's admirable simply because it's an act of passion in and of itself. Like, yeah. he still cut off his fucking ear, and Colin Farrell, Farrell's character may or may not have, like, tried to reenact Oedipus Rex. Yeah. And another element to this whole movie, for me at least, and maybe it's just because it's probably my favorite thing depicted in any, like, my favorite subject depicted in any movie, so maybe I'm just reading into this. But I also think this is could be read as an allegory not just for dating because i definitely think that's the baseline and that's what you should get out of it and can get out of whatever but also in mental illness and dating and how that is what is shall we say not copacetic with the idea that we're all on the same playing field and that we all should accept the same things from people and that if you can't offer that then you need to look for another person rather than try to you know uh, reach the other person halfway or that kind of thing. So I, I think there's also a slight uh, of that in there because when I looked at like the, um, and this actually goes into another thought that I haven't brought up yet, but um, when I look at like the background, one thing I love about this movie, like I was talking earlier, is uh, is the audiovisual cues. For example, um, I love that when you're watching the, the scene in which like they're at the mall, um, every extra in the background is coupled like it's not. I actually looked for that the second time to see if I could find a single person alone. You know, a single person. Ah. Ah. <laughs> you said a bitch. Yeah. Uh, but I actually looked in the background to see if anybody would enter the frame by themselves. If this is supposed to be that kind of bureaucratic totalitarian society, and no. And so I love that. Like everything down to the background is pre thought out. And where are your marriage papers? Yeah, and that's the other thing is you know that that being a nice little allegory for like things like relationship status and online uh, social media um, or even just uh, there's something in this movie that I can't I, I mentioned this to you Alex but I can't imagine is a coincidence and 
if it's not, I, I applaud it because it's such a little detail that I absolutely love. But the scene in which uh, uh, Colin Farrell's character comes to Ben Wishaw's uh, hotel, or maybe the other way around, I don't know who's in what whose hotel room, but Colin Farrell is confronting him about the idea that he knows that he faked his nosebleed uh, to to get with the the, the young girl. Um, right behind Ben Wishaw on the wall is a spider, just a, cr- a little tiny spider, but a spider like crawling, you know, across the wall. And I love the idea that the the idea of this animal transformation is just all over the frame of this movie, both in obvious ways when you see like the peacock, yeah, and other like the camel in the forest, which or, I think or are... or his his uh, brother the dog who yeah. is violently murdered. That is true. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But even in ways that don't like pop out at you, like the spider on the wall. Like I love yeah. that. and like and like that's the kind of person that gets left behind in this kind of society because after once society is deemed that you you can't date anymore, then not not to mention that that's a very interesting and I. I guess I didn't notice because I didn't notice what dish they were eating. But wouldn't it be something if they were eating steak at the dinner and she <laughs> hands him the steak knife to say, "Go stab him, stab the bad man, Daddy"? Oh God! Oh boy! What yeah. were you gonna say to son? Uh, like one of the last things I, I kind of wanted to, to touch on this because we've already sort of like unpacked so many of the things that I really like about this film, and I feel like there's even more stuff. Like when you're talking about audiovisual cues, especially in the background, I just I just love. <laughs> The fucking camel and flamingos and other fucking animals that just like wander into the frame. And I, just, about, yeah, I was gonna say that that camel in that one scene is just it's <laughs> wow that wrecks me. I just I just fucking love it. It's 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 like so like morosely funny, and that that's another thing. It's like it's 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 viciously funny, but it's also like horrifyingly grotesque. And I'm not just talking about like, that opening scene. That opening scene that that's a scene that there's that has no explanation for, it, but for as much as you know about the society, you can already infer and yeah. build your own explanation. And I love that. It doesn't have to hand me everything. Like Now, that woman in the opening scene, I've seen it twice, but when we got to the opening scene for the second time, me and Alex and Emily, we were late mm-hmm. uh, getting into it. By only like a, a minute or something like right, that. Right, but that, that scene was pretty yeah. much just about to be over. Yeah. Uh, but I believe, unless I'm remembering it incorrectly, is that the same woman who's the butter biscuit woman? No. It's not okay. No, it's a I, completely different woman. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember they had some more hair, but I couldn't remember if it was the same. And yeah. anyway, but... I, 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 I honestly love the the actual conversation between Ben Wishaw and John C. Riley and Colin Farrell about the actual transformation sequence of how you actually turn into an animal. Because when you think about it, it's like, oh, they're going to turn into an animal. You immediately think of like something almost Disney esque, like how they're going to do it. It's like, no, it's actually a very involved process where they they take the skin off and they take the organs and then they ship off the blood and, back to the uh, Nick has the a, hospital. A, had, had, and I didn't even think about that. So big props to him. But a, a great point about that, about how that you had asked the question. Right. So bring that up first. As far well, as well, the, the question I had asked about it is, is how Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell was able to easily turn by in, in, in turn, uh, the, the woman that had murdered his, his brother, the dog into an animal. And Nick had perfectly pointed out that pretty much all that they talk about, which we as an audience just believe as truth Mm -hmm. is all just hearsay for the most part about the process that nobody really knows about how people are turned into animals. Because we hear them. And then they also say like things like maids aren't allowed in there, but we also know that maids 
but the, like the only maid we get to know is actually a double crossing maid. So mm-hmm. I think we're not supposed and, to and take she's that the one at face value. Who, who's able to open the door, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So I think it's actually like what's great about that is that that's probably not even true. And there might even be more weird because when they open that door, it's pitch black. So yeah. I, I like the idea that we don't get to see into it. So maybe there's literally nothing to it. Maybe like Emily, your wife, had uh, posited the theory that maybe they don't even turn them into animals. Yeah. Maybe they just shoot them and it's all and, just bullshit. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Now I don't know that I subscribe to that. <laughs> But I also I love that ambiguity of like, do we really get confirmation? As to- but and then that that's just that's just how Emily rolls, and she has a a brilliant brain when it comes to because she takes things that seem so obvious, but I would never have thought of um, like that, where which is just seems so clear now that I think about. It. Not that I think that is because I, I don't think that's at all, especially with certain animals who show up right afterwards and mm. it's like how could they find an animal that has perfect blonde hair like that after they killed the blonde haired girl but converted the, the blonde haired girl uh-huh <laughs> but at the same time uh it, it's that kind of idea that that in in this world how would you ever know because it's not like animals can can speak and say oh i am actually i am your brother it could just could be some dog they found down at the pound so you know it's it's it, yeah it's an interesting theory that I, I don't necessarily subscribe to but what what a film and, and and I did mention it already a couple times but that scene um, that is completely paid off with him being a deep sleeper and and not hearing <laughs> hearing that that it, she's and in the way that that uh, actress delivers the line uh, about uh, her murdering his brother the dog and then he walks into the bloody mess of that dog in the bathroom is. Oh. It, and and speaking of her character, who actually um, is, is I, th- I think my the most interesting character in the in the film to me specifically because uh, we take a, a very inverse uh, representation of of sex in the in the relationship where she's supposed to be this cold person who doesn't want to to have any you know connection or whatever but she's really wants to turn around and be in the missionary position looking Colin Farrell right in the eyes. That was the most terrifying sex scene. But it was so unusual for how we, as people who watch these kind of sex scenes always would normally think she would want to to have sex. And it was just, and I think that all goes back to what we had. We had a mini conversation about the idea that I, at least I thought that that's another extent of this allegory, which is that if we concede, if we concede, but if we concede the idea that the, the, the the people in the hotel going out to shoot the loners is kind of like a one-night stand possible metaphor, then the idea that she racks up the most and that she's very content in this life is a great way of how society outcasts women and call them heartless bitches or whores mm-hmm. based on those uh, like you know activities and how well that they can you know do it and not get attached like as if we like they should because they're a woman. She's not heartless because of that. She's heartless because she's literally a sociopath. I know, they that's why it's dog. an allegory. <laughs> yeah, but, they kicked the dog to death. Like yeah. But I'm just saying is I think that that was mm-hmm. at least intentional as far as how they all viewed viewed her to be that way. Yeah. But yeah, in, in that moment when uh, when she's bringing Colin Farrell to see the uh the hotel manager and she's literally dragging him like a child taking them to the detention room. Oh man, that was wonderful. That's good. Yeah, it's it's uh I, I, I don't really have a lot lot to say say more about that. It's like except for that that scene that we're just talking about with the the, the heartless woman like choosing to be in the missionary position. I think that I read that less as 
like a an omission of her own pleasure or her own enjoyment of it, but I think that she suspected yeah. something from when like they wanted were, to see if he would get something more out of it. Than she's she like, was. "Do you have yeah. emotions?" And I'm just like, "What was that noise?" And I'm just like, "I want to do it in a missionary position." And she's just like staring at him. I'm just like, even though it, mm. it was just a very interesting inverse scene for me because it was just kind of the opposite of what I would have expected it in that at least viewing it for the first time. So yeah. Very interesting film, and I'm going to go into to my final thoughts and, and rating. And go for it, man. You guys ham out the the how this is going to end because I know you have uh, quite more to say than than I think I do. But um, it's a three out of five for me, and a film that I could see raising up to three and a half uh, on, on another Whoa. viewing. I don't think it would ever go higher than that for me, just because this is not my specific kind of film. But at the same time, I think there is a lot here to enjoy as a film viewer uh, and, and a lot to, to take from as well. Uh, there's a lot of funny moments of this film. There's a lot of uh, kind of dark, scary societal things that are, that are shown throughout this film. And there's also just good filmmaking here in terms of uh, beautiful use of music, quite good cinematography mm-hmm. for, a, yeah. for, a, for an independent film. Um, it's... This is a a film that felt like a elongated episode of The Leftovers in a good way, uh, for 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 me, uh, not necessarily from a content level, but from the the way that the the feel of it and the, and the look of it was, and it, and it was in a, in a good way. I I really enjoyed that part of it, and it, this is just a, a film that I feel like you have to watch at least two or three times to to fully. Uh, enjoy, and that's coming from someone who's only seen it, seen it once. So I, I, I want to say that I could definitely like this more uh, going forward. But I, I do think this is this is a quite good film that isn't necessarily uh, for me. But um, that being said, three out of five for the Lobster for me in a film that I, I think a lot of people should should check out, and and hopefully at some point we'll have a chance to check out because I feel like this is a this is a good film that that people a lot of people could end up catching on Netflix because I feel like this is a, a very easy tagline to sell to people because uh, a lot of people at work who had never heard of this, never heard of the director or anything like that. But I tell them basically the, the easy two sentence storyline and they're automatically interested in, in what this may be. Yeah. And even if they don't necessarily like it, I think they would watch it the whole way through just because it's a very uh, interesting film. It's a curiosity flick. It's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> one sentence premise um it could be summed up in in one sentence and you could totally so, sell somebody just some on the on on the nature of like wow that sounds really fucked up i kind of want to see like how that unravels um nick if you don't mind is like just jump into it it's like yeah i think this film is fucking incredible i i really enjoyed the first my first viewing of it i've only seen it one time like i think that it is um it is it is a combination of things. It's powerfully revulsive in in how it shows this this really fucked up society and also the grotesqueties of just like the implications of how you actually transform a person into an animal. Even though we've already kind of hashed it out, like maybe it might not be that at all. Maybe it might be fucking worse than that. Like that's that's what's terrifying about it. It's it's very very insightful, very viciously funny. And I say vicious because it's just like it's got this really dark this dark wit about it sometimes like i really enjoy that and it's just um it it's it, it's it's terrifyingly absurd it is kafka-esque it's it, it's it's a fucking nightmare to live in that kind of society and be conscripted into that model where like even your um 
even something that that might be as as basic as an impulse of like searching out for solidarity or companionship can be like hemmed in and then being used to 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 sustain like a, a societal model it, it, it's taken out of your hands something that's so personal and so intrinsic to you whether or not you want to be in a relationship or not like that's your choice is the choice is taken out of your hands and made for you by not only a society that is 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 confining you but also by the supposed system of of the counter system of freedom that seeks to liberate you and i say liberate with air quotes um yeah i i the, the only thing that that really stops me from maybe giving this a four and a half out of five or maybe even a five is one that i feel like i have to watch it multiple times mm-hmm. to actually really get get the most out of it i want to see at least three times before i like settle on like a a, a final final score for myself but also because um it manages to have this balance of and, and i think it's owed to like the the almost the the tone depth like intonation of most of the characters that it has almost this sterility about it like it feels very sterile it feels very one note even though there there is obviously an arc there's obviously like pacing there's obviously things that are going on there's obviously investment on part of the characters but there's still that just that weird mix about it that just it didn't really hit the right chord for me specifically like i can acknowledge that this film is really fucking well made it's really well done but it just didn't like it it was just inches away from hitting that note with me that just kind of like holy shit like this kind of like rocked me to my core in sort of a way um and i hope that upon subsequent viewings that i can get closer to hitting that note with it so i'm going to leave this off with a four out of five i definitely recommend this film i i really enjoyed it can't wait to see it again (laughs) Um, i'm just thinking of how i'm going to start this off and i can already uh predict uh the facial reaction to what i'm about to say but one movie I was reminded of when I saw this is uh, I feel like this is the Starship Troopers update movie because – Okay. Uh, you know what? I laughed at that initially, but you know what? I'm going to let you roll with it. I'm going to yeah. see. Oh, yeah. For, for a variety I, of I, reasons. I, 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 I guess I wouldn't necessarily roll my eyes if you didn't find a way to work a no, that's why I, film into no, every yeah. episode. Not necessarily because of my analogy, but because, yeah, like, here I go. We have a history of this. Here I go again. No, but I, I think that there is something to this. Can unpack but, it. like, everything, like, somebody could go see this movie and think that this is, like, the stupidest thing in the world because, like, it's just so over the top and, like, how are you supposed to get anything out of it if it's about this ridiculous society or whatever? And they would be the people who wouldn't realize that they are the victims of this very real life parallel that's actually I think being tapped into by this movie and not only that but also the performance of this movie are so deliberate that they can be mistaken for underperforming in the same way that you can mistake Starship Troopers uh uh, acting for being overperformed, uh, so I think that at the heart, both of them share this very scary allegory that seems like it's a sci-fi movie or this weird, uh, shall we say, like sci-fi. Like I, I honestly think that this is this movie is like one tilt on the axis away from being a horror movie, like a literal horror movie. Uh, not just because it has some weird Shining vibes, but because between the music, uh, which has that constant refrain of like the uh, the don't, 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 every time it like cuts to a new sequence or whatever, uh, there's something terrifying about this world. Um, so yeah, 
Jumping off of that is that I, that's why I love this movie. I thought this was a hilarious and yet frightening allegory for what we're currently in the midst of. And it's something that I don't think is really going to change anytime soon. In fact, I think that's also part of this film's message is that it's not. And unless you can break free yourself, uh, you're going to be a victim of this kind of said mentality. Because it's not that I'm trying to say that dating is wrong and it doesn't, you know... uh, it's love is a sham or anything like that but as we conceive it as a collective society uh completely i i'd say uh leaves behind the people that aren't going to be able to 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 do it uh, the, uh, just to, as an example as someone who has done online dating and by done i mean made a profile and message people and never received messages back right. but every time i uh, look at a profile i'm not kidding when i say that Ninety percent of the profiles of the women as a heterosexual male uh, that I browse, I am not kidding. Like one of the first things that's always listed is "Do not message me if you're under a certain height." And you know, Ooh. it's that. Ooh, and as somebody who's them. five feet tall, well, we say "fuck them," but that's over half them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that is not you know, it's not like this Man. little cult or something. And I'm not saying that they're it, bad it, people. I, I was going to say I mean, it, it, they it, probably it, are, but. We, uh, at, at the same at the same time, I do feel like a lot of people who who do start online dating are really on there saying, "I'm going to go out and put a put out there exactly what I'm looking for and see right. if I can find that." Yeah, no, and that's that's what I'm trying to say. Is that I'm not trying to like whine about it or anything like that. Okay. But I'm saying, <laughs> sounded skeptical. <laughs> uh, no, I'm 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 not at all. Okay. Trust me. Uh, but I think that the online mentality is only an online extension of our real world dating world, which is that we have these limitations and things. And I totally get that, myself included, that we have things that we will accept and partners and things we won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to get that technical about what a person can offer somebody uh, seems to be something that's inbred by a dysfunctional society at large, in my opinion. Okay. Um, and I think this movie taps into that idea and the idea of, like, you know, by, by nature, we, we, we think we're living in, like, a perfect, not perfect, but a, a, a society in which now we can get any kind of person we want because we can put in these, and we don't realize that all that does is actually close off what we could potentially find instead of, uh, you know... And, yeah. and and settle for a fat dentist who tells you to floss after every meal, uh, <laughs> as we saw in this movie. So, uh, yeah, I uh, as a bitter twenty four year old, oh, I, wow. I absolutely love this movie. So <laughs> this is a four and a half out of five. And even putting all those whatever real life. Oh, also half is not half, but uh, the fact that this movie also came down to the idea of like blinding oneself after surgery as someone who suffered mm. through eye problems. I, I don't know. There was just way too many parallels to this movie <laughs> where I was like, this is not fair. But, <laughs> but putting all that aside, I thought the movie was funny. I thought it was gorgeously shot. I thought mm-hmm. the performances were like, it's not the kind of performances that should win Oscars, but are so wonderfully done in their deliberate way that I, I love those. And it brings also, out the best in the film. Yeah. And, and brings just out the best in the performers. I mean, we've seen quite a few subpar performances from Rachel Wise lately, I think. And she's actually quite good here in a role that she doesn't necessarily have to, you know, be anything other than the character she's trying to portray. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I was I was a huge fan of this movie. This is my favorite movie I've seen all year that I didn't originally see at Sundance because uh, there's only one movie ahead of it, but I saw that at the festival. So I mm-hmm. guess this is my favorite 2016 theatrical release so far. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, it's, I, 
in terms of films you've seen in the theater that weren't at a festival setting, then then yes, but yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I don't understand what's hard to comprehend. No, it, it's, uh, it's not. I just feel like it, Mammal is still a 2016 film, so it's yeah. No, I'm just letting viewers know I out gotcha. of all the movies I could have seen at the theater this year because you guys can't go see Mammal. This right, is my favorite of what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, that makes. Okay. Makes more sense now than my closed off brain trying yeah. to only think. Of yeah, I wasn't trying to like, whatever. But like, if I say Mammal's my favorite movie I saw in a theater this year, it's like I, you know, that's true. It's kind of misleading in the sense that it I didn't... can't wait for you to see it a year and a half from now. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> on the internet, and that's actually <laughs> might be true because The Lobster came out for the very first time in festivals over uh, a year ago, and mm-hmm. we're only seeing it now. So yeah. So anyway, that that that's that was my. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. I think That's all, folks. What we can take away from this is that we all thought the Lobster was it was a good film that people should at least view, even if they're not going to like it. I think people should at least uh, give it a shot and t- check it out. I would say it should go on our hit list. It won't. It, it can't because I didn't give it a three and a half. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we don't really have a hit list anymore. Yeah. I mean, we we haven't really. Yeah. Ah, whatever. We'll just recommend shit. There we go. So, on our next episode, uh, we're going to do something that we haven't done in quite a bit, which is we're going to do a top six episode. Yeah! Yeah! Not a lot of of excitement there, but I I think it's going to be a a quite good episode, Mm -hmm. because we're doing something that that me and Toussaint definitely both really like, which is villains in Mm -hmm. in films. But I think we're leaving the, the... term villain quite open here which in previous top six episodes even if we've enjoyed doing them which i have uh quite a bit uh, we've tried to get more specific uh so we don't have all over the place where i think with this episode we're going to try to leave it wide open in terms of the interpretation of of the word villain or the word antagonist uh so we're going to come in, uh, our friend Brian, who joined us for the Batman vs. Superman episode, which whoop, whoop. if you watch or you listen to the entire episode, wow, kudos to you because it was very long. Uh, hopefully this episode that we'll do next week will be a little bit shorter than that one was. We're going to try. Well, at least we'll have 6, 12, 8, 24 movies to talk about <laughs> instead of one movie for or, three hours. Or talking about Marvel for an hour instead of oh, yeah. the actual movie we were talking about that week. That aside, yeah, um, it's going to be interesting, and we're going to have, I hope, quite diverse lists as uh, we're going to talk about what our favorite villains slash antagonists are in the history of of our film viewing. If you out there, as as a listener, have a, a top six villain list, feel free to obviously send them on to filmtankshow at gmail dot com, or you can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. You can also find all of our episodes, uh, including that episode next week, this episode, obviously, and uh, our entire uh, library of, of episodes on FilmTankShow.com, or you can find uh, our recent episodes on iTunes or Stitcher. So from Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much, as always, for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. Bye. Bye.